Welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories in them. And today I'm joined by David Glenn IV. David, welcome back to the show. Thanks for We're having me. We're talking about horror again with you. It's just, it's a reoccurring theme, it feels yeah. like. I mean, and it's it, the best kind of Christmas movies in my life. But I know you watch more than just horror. That's the funny yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I, I feel like I, I mean, I watch a lot of horror in October and like I do spread it out around the year, yeah, but yeah. like I am one of those people that's like, oh, I'm going to binge a bunch of horror movies. In October. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I do know just like anytime I look at like our letterbox and I'm looking at like my watch list for horror stuff. Yeah. Almost, I would say eight out of 10 times you've seen the movie that is on my watch list. So I was like, well, he's seen that. So if not, it's probably on my watch list or it's and on your watch list. But yeah, that's the correct. thing with like horror posters. Like it really, like it doesn't even have to be like a strong premise. Like if the poster yeah. looks cool, I'll just add it to my watch list. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's the one. I don't know that. But that's the one thing I, I guess letterboxes help a little bit with that is that because I remember someone talking about how like back in the day with video stores you could just like oh that box looks insane. Yeah, and the VHS co- covers. I have to get yeah. that. Yeah. Well, they also sold a movie that most of the time wasn't in the on the tape. That could be true too. <laughs> um, but it's like oh god, I have to get that. Uh, yeah. That movie. I don't know what it's about. I think the one I remember the, I heard someone talking about was was the Putney Swope, um, Robert Downey Senior. Yeah, VHS. with the middle finger. Middle yeah, finger. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what the hell is that? I got to right. get that. And, and uh, yeah, we, we've lost that, I think, in the streaming age where... Yeah, because a lot of the posters on, like, Netflix it's and just Prime, it's just, yeah, it's just boring. And it? also, it's it's based on the algorithm, so it's based around, like, oh, you watch, you've watched a few Jennifer Garner movies. Let's put Jennifer Garner <laughs> on your cover. Your Jennifer Garner category. But but uh, she's in the movie for like five minutes or whatever. Right. Oh, no, I remember what it was. It was um, uh, Set It Up where it's Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell. Yeah. And I said this to Thomas because I was like, why is Pete Davidson on the cover of this? He's in like three scenes in this entire movie. Like he's... He's barely a supporting player. Like he's like Glenn Powell's like roommate. He gets the Beatrice Strait Award. I don't, I don't know if he could even get that. He, he would be that would be the one he'd be up for. Yeah. Um. But I was just like, I was like, he's in the movie for three scenes. I was like, yeah, but he's the cover of the sh- of the movie for some reason. He's not even in the main plot. He's in like, but the, and the best thing with the with a cover, and I think with Letterbox does that. Yeah, I will I will sometimes put stuff in the watch list based off just like. Oh, that's an interesting cover or yeah. a poster, especially sometimes for the time. Like there's some of them like that poster feels very modern for 1946 or whatever. Yeah. Um, I also like now that it, now that I'm a patron, I can change the poster. You can change the poster. I which spent is nice. way too much time uh, yeah. going through and changing. And I, yeah, I've been doing that, and I always like there's there's I just pick like weird ones sometimes. Like like my uh, um, my house of Gucci is uh, Jared Leto, of course. Of course, I mean there's no other way. And um, uh, my Black Panther, I want to change to the, the Martin Freeman character. <laughs> uh, Everett Ross, I yes. think is his name. Yeah. Have you seen the action figure? That yeah, it's just Ross. him. It's just him it's in a suit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like my Black Christmas one. It's like I think a a, a Japanese poster of. Yeah, it. there were so many options There's for Black Christmas. Cool. I, I it took me yeah. a while to decide. And I was just like, one. let's go with a completely yeah. off the wall one. I, I um, like doing that with the um, with the with the uh, with um. Spaghetti Westerns, too, because there's a lot of options with the uh, with the Italian posters. Yeah, and sometimes you have, like, custom-made, like, yeah. fan ones and stuff. But anyway, yes, so enough about posters and horror and that and that, and that stuff. But, yeah, we're talking about ho- holiday horror or Christmas horror this month. And with Christmas horror, you know, we talked about Better Watch Out. We talked about Black Christmas. And a lot of times we've discussed previously with horror films is that a lot of the horror, it's kind of the it's a version of the genre of, like, Christmas is supposed to be a time to be in your home and you're feeling warm and you're with family and with better watch out and black Christmas, it turned it into like 
the calls coming from inside the house, where the where the the fear and the terror is coming within right. the house, the perversion of the yes. Christmas spirit. Uh, Christmas, correct. And it, it's better watch out, where it's this kind of take on home home alone, uh, as 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 Thomas referred to as home alone with already consequences. Um, have you heard of, um, by the way, have you heard of Dial Code Santa Claus? It has another name too, uh-uh. but it's also like, it actually came out before Home Alone, but it's also a similar premise. There's like a oh. guy dressed as Santa comes in and the kid is like trying to, oh, it's, so it's it was interesting. In, uh, it's yeah, it's, it's a Home Alone, yeah, yeah. similar, similar premise. It was a really interesting film, but yeah, I don't know okay. if, say, if that's on your hor- uh, Christmas horror list. Or not. It might need to be soon. And that was another thing too. It has a it, different name on Letterboxd, I think. Yeah. And that was another thing too, is that a lot of, which we're not talking about these, at all this this uh, month is that a lot of these the, those movies I feel like the like the bottom rung I hate to say that I don't want to insult mo- some movies with these that I haven't seen but like the schlockier the schlockier yeah, yeah, yeah. ones where it's like Santa's a killer right. or Santa's a zombie yeah. or it's these kind of things and like then the kills are very um, related to like like I think like stab stab with a candy cane or something I don't right. know like just like, they're related to horror or to Christmas in some way. And I think a lot of the ones we're talking about this month, like you said, is how to subvert Christmas a lot yeah. of the time. Um, I think today's movie... Well, like the joy of Christmas. The joy like, of yeah, Christmas. Yeah. And I think today's movie is, I think in general, as the director we're talking about, is someone who's good at subverting what you expect. But again, with Gremlins today and with Joe Dante, is I think what's so fascinating about him and always been compelling um, is that I think sometimes Spielberg gets a lot of credit for a lot of stuff, but Dante has always been great, like creating horror within the suburbs. Is the oh thing. for sure, yeah, yeah. That's I like mean, the Burbs is one of my favorite of Dante's the movies. Burbs, a very yes. underrated. Yes, film. it's like the Burbs. Yeah. You, yeah, I think of we talked about Toy Soldiers um, or Small Soldiers, Toy Soldiers, yeah. and Small Soldiers. Um, even uh, 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 Explorers is not. It's not horror, but it's like it's the suburbs. Like I always, I've always said that I think. Um, uh, Joe Dante, everyone with Stranger Things kind of credits. Oh, it's this very Spielberg esque, but I feel yeah, like if there's, King, if yeah. there's not a Joe Dante, I don't know if you have Stranger Things in the way it was, especially, especially that first season. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Where it's it's kids in neighborhood where where like Explorers has a very similar vibe as the first Stranger for Things. Sure, for sure. Um, but no, but yeah, but with this genre, you have the kind of these kills and the subversion of the home and kind of the 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 take on what if you have a dark Christmas? Um, and again, like how to how sometimes the home can be used as a weapon. I think today um, it's it's not the home exactly, but it is. A, that is a big set piece. But at one point, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah, a big set yeah, piece. Yeah. Home but it does home, spread out into the small community. Yes, the, 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 the community of, of Christmas is is becomes the kind of big thing. But you could argue that like it's like the family pet is what turns into the villain of, right. of the movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So we're t- so that's kind of the the genre we've been talking about. But today we're talking about Gremlins, and it's David. This is your first episode you've actually written. So yeah, I yeah. I know nothing about this movie. Um, so tell me, uh, David, what, what is, give me, what's Gremlins about and who's in it and who's, what's, who the people? So Gremlins is, uh, you know, it's a traditional Christmas tale about a, a, a young man who, uh, gets a Christmas present mm-hmm. and it just so happens that, um, if you break one of the three rules, uh, which is, uh, don't get it wet, mm-hmm. it will, um, it will ha- reproduce asexually. And then, uh, on top of that, if you feed it after midnight, not only does this cute, cuddly thing turn into a, a bigger monster, mm-hmm. um, but they again they, when they multiply, there's like it, it becomes a you know a, a big problem for the town. So yes, uh, yeah, that's essentially the you know it starts as a sweet Christmas tale and then turns into a, a, a chaotic, anarchic um, 
you know, horror comedy. Yeah. And so, who, so what? So the story is basically you have this inventor. Yeah. Uh, gets gets the gremlin. Uh, buys the gremlin for his. Well, no, it's a mogwai. Mogwai, yeah. Um, buys a mog mogwai for his son for Christmas, and the son. Um, and you can kind of introduce the cast here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the yeah, so the son, uh, so the lead uh, Billy Peltzer is played by Zach Galligan, and this was actually his first feature role. Wow. Um, yeah. So he was doing plays in Manhattan for a while, and he had done some film auditions prior. One of which was mm-hmm. Taps. Uh, interestingly oh. enough, yeah. And but he he mentioned in the commentary in the cast commentary that he felt like he really related to Billy. Mm-hmm. He also felt like kind of a nerdy kid, and so yeah, it was a good role for him, a good first role for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his uh, kind of romantic uh, interest in the film is uh, Kate Berenger, played by Phoebe. Phoebe Cates, mm-hmm. who, you know, was the teenage crush of the 80s. Yes. One of the teenage I mean, I can't imagine how many video stores had the Fast Times, you know, pool yes. scene just being destroyed from people yeah. rewinding it over and over again. Speaking of Stranger Things, that's yeah. what I think. I think season four of Stranger Things, that's actually a bit where they're like, um, who's checking out? It was, who's checking out Fast Times? Right. Was this, and they, were, they realized that one character was lesbian because she was checking out Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah, somebody over and over again. Yeah. And they could tell it was like, re- and, and they're like, oh, sh- no, no straight woman is checking out Fast Times Ridge Mahai yeah. over and over again. Um, um, and then another uh, Fast Times uh, cast member, Judge R- uh, Reinhold, plays mm-hmm. uh, a fellow bank employee who's kind of higher up in the chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his role was actually reduced, uh, as was the bank manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, there was a bigger plot with that whole, with all the bank stuff. Yeah. Uh, but he's still a, an integral part of the first act. And he yeah. kind of, he, he, he's not a mentor to Billy, but he kind of gives him some, some advice at one point uh, yeah. on in the film. Um, and then, of course, uh, Corey Feldman, who was another yep. big child star of the eighty, play uh, of and the Dante 80s. and big Dante, person. yeah, yeah, actor as well, yeah. Uh, but he uh, plays Zach's uh, little friend Pete, mm-hmm. um, and he had, yeah, like we're about to talk about. He, I mean, he had a huge run in the in the mid eighties. I mean, he was in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four before this, which mm-hmm. came out in April of this of eighty four. Mm-hmm. Then Gremlins comes out in the summer. Then uh-huh. he's in Goonies the next year in eighty five. Stand by Me in eighty six. Yeah. Lost Boys in eighty seven. And then I, I I'm gonna r- run back to the Burbs in '89 because I love that movie. Yeah. But I mean, like, look at that run, man. It's it, a great run. Yeah. From '84 to '89, he's in all those movies. It's pretty wild. It's it, yeah, it's an underrated run for because I think Feldman. It's like I think people forget how big he was right. in that period. And Dante even actor. said he was like he, he was one of the best kid actors. But it's funny yeah. that this was like because he is in fr- quite a bit of Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. But mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of his like you know bigger first roles. So, yeah. Uh, first. Uh, and then and then um. The dad, yeah, is I was Randall. Say, yeah, so yeah. there's Billy, uh, Billy's parents. Uh, the dad is played by Hoyt Axton, who is a, who was a folk singer, mm-hmm. um, and he plays a struggling inventor, as you mentioned. I have a, I have a story about Hoyt, Hoyt Axton as we. As oh, we really? Go on. Well, so, yeah. but Dante had seen him in the Black Stallion from 1979, okay. and he said that he thought he was a good far, father figure there. Mm-hmm. So he thought that he'd be, he'd be good in that role. Um, but yeah, what's your Hoyt Axton story? Hoyt Axton. So I know Hoyt Axton from. I don't. This might be a little too before your time. Because I was right in the kind of period this is coming out, um, Shelley Duvall's Fairy Tale Theater. Did you ever hear about this? I've heard of it. I, I've never okay, seen it. Okay, so Hoyt Axton's in one. He's in the uh, Three Little Bears, and he plays. I think he plays Goldilocks's dad. Is what it oh, is. Oh, interesting. Goldilocks played by Tay O'Neill in 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 that one. Um, he's either the dad or like the sheriff or something. Is what it is. And he's just like he. he I think he's kind of the narrator of yeah. the story of like the Three Little Bears. But that. So I've only seen him. In that movie and and, and Gremlins, yeah, and I forgot that he was in there. Like, oh, it's the guy from Three Little Bears. Well, he has a very distinct voice. He does, yeah. and that's why I was like, kind of the like with that one. It's like he's the narrator, where it's like telling the story of the Goldilocks and the Three yeah. Little Bears, and 
and how and talking about the porridge and and he's kind of I think I feel like he's always walking around I feel like he was whittling at some point <laughs> I'm not positive it's been a while since I've seen it but yeah he that's where I always remember him from is that yeah. series um big people in that series like I don't know if you've looked into it but like I think Rob Williams in the first one Oh wow! So um, is Shelley Duvall in all of them, or is she's she, not, not? Well, she was like, or is she like she a was, host? She, kind she of was the host. She I would see. introduce each one, and she was in a few of them. She was in, I think, Rapunzel, where she played Rapunzel. Not Rapunzel. Um, Rumpelstiltskin. She's oh. in Rumpelstiltskin. Um, I think there's one more she was in. But yeah, it's like Carrie Fisher's in one. Oh wow! Uh, I think she's. I think is she's in Thumbelina. Eighties or eighties, okay. mid to late eighties, I believe. Um, Thumbelina, um, David Bowie's in one. Oh wow! Um, uh, Christopher Reeve is in one. Uh, he's sleeping. That's Sleeping Beauty with Christopher Reeve, Burnett Peters, and Beverly D'Angelo. This is a piece of information that that people don't know that I know all this stuff. Um, yeah, Tim Burton directed. I think the Aladdin, I think the Aladdin one with the David Bowie, I believe. Whoa, that actually sounds. True. Um, yeah, um, Coppola directed one, I believe. Um, yeah, three little. So the ones I watched a lot. I, my mom knows this. Uh, <laughs> three little bears I watched a lot. Three little pigs I watched a lot. That was Jeff Goldblum as the Big Bad Wolf. Um, oh, that sounds. Billy similar. Crystal was one of the the pigs. As was uh, Fred Willard from oh, no Christopher yeah, Guest, yeah. Uh, and the guy who plays Flounder and Animal House. Oh yeah, they were the three little pigs, and Jeff Goldblum was the Big Bad Wolf. Okay, who I was, gotta see this. Who was? I, I think I have it. Don't worry, I'll, I'll let you part. Um, it's I think Gold, Goldblum is like his wife is sending him out to get dinner for the guests they're having, so he's going out. She's like, I want, they want a pig. I gotta find a pig. I gotta find a pig. Like, <laughs> and and, and it's like it's in like costumes for all this stuff. It's just, it's wild. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, Hansel and Gretel was a big one. That was uh. Uh, Paul Dooley was the dad in that one, and then um, God, what am I blanking on her name? She was in like uh, I think she's in uh, Dynasty. Joan Collins. Joan oh, Collins okay. was was the she the dual role of the stepmom and the witch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I they're wild. It's just you got you're like wow, they had these like massive stars. Somewhere like Robin Williams was a was a star. Right, yeah. When they're making this, like Carrie Fisher was it's like post Star Wars. Right. Like these are Liza Minnelli was in one. It was it was it was big people uh in this thing. You know, so yeah. It, it's hard I don't know if it's hard to find. I don't know. It's not streaming anywhere, I don't think, yeah. to my knowledge. But I think I I bought DVDs of it. So there we go. Anyway, uh, uh, tangent on that. Sorry, my apologies. Oh, good. Okay. So yeah, Hoyt Axton played his father. Yes. And then uh, his mother is played by uh, Frances Lee McCain. Okay. Um, and she was a stage actress, mm-hmm. uh, but she was also the female lead in a show called er, from 1974 called Apple's Way, which I've never okay. heard of. I think it only lasted a season. Yeah. Um, but I, kn- I, re- I recently saw her in um, Albert Brooks's Real Life, which I saw at the New mm-hmm. Art. Um, and she plays the mother slash wife in that in that movie. Yeah, she was like... She's also of, in Footloose, which I, Footloose. I haven't seen. I don't, yeah. So I'm not sure what role she... You haven't she, seen Footloose? No, no. David. I've seen parts of it on a cable, but Footloose is fun. I know, I know, I know. Footloose is the perfect like faith based movie. <laughs> Seriously, watch it. It's like it's all about faith. It's like it, John Lithgow is 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 we've talked about this in the show, Thomas and I. It's like John Lithgow is in the middle of a teen like teen movie, dance movie, and having a real like big struggle about yeah. faith. And it's like crisis of faith. Yeah. Fascinating to so watch. Is it Bergman film within. Yeah, he's just like because it's like what. I'm the voice that like will tell them not to dance if they can dance or not. And like, cause I think it was that his sister had died in a car wreck before after coming from a dance. And so he had the most like, I can't, like he doesn't, he, he thought dance would lead to, to the devil and sin. Yeah. 
And he's having a real big question of faith in the middle of that movie. And I think it is, is so fascinating. And no one talks about that way. Do you recognize her from Falouse? Or is she, is she, she, she plays, I think she plays uh, uh, Kevin Bacon's um, mom. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but she was She's, also in Back to the Future and in Stand Back by the Future. Me. She and she, and stand by me. She is uh, Will Wheaton's mom. Like I was, I, that's I was, right. That's she's right. kind of like the mid '80s mom. It feels like. Yeah. I can't remember who she plays in Back to the Future. Um, I didn't recognize it by the um, the credit. Yeah, Stella the credit Stella Baines is the character name. Yeah. I don't I don't know who she was. I I feel like. Oh, she! I know who she is. She she's um. Leah Thompson's mom in the fifties. Oh, she's the, so yeah, again, yeah, yeah. Again, just mom. she was the yeah. perfect mid eighties mom. Um, and then, and then the, some of the other like supporting players. There's Dick Miller, who was a Dante staple. Yeah, he fantastic. was also a big part of the Corman camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but he plays Mister Futterman, who's kind of the half man of the movie, and he's Billy's neighbor. Yes. Um, and he dri- my favorite detail about him is he drives a Kentucky Harvester instead of a car. Yeah, yeah. and he's very like very. Uh, very uh, anti-establishment, uh, Ant- <laughs> specifically anti anti foreign made is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he would, but he's a World War II veteran. And, yeah, yeah, you would know he, who he was voting for nowadays. Well, <laughs> um, it's this small town America. It's small town America. You're uh, right. Uh, and then uh, Glenn Turman, who plays Pete's science teacher, um, yes. but which apparently is high school. Uh, it's what Wikipedia says. I'm, it's high school. Okay, so is he a freshman? Because he looks like a middle schooler to me. But uh, Pete does. Um, but yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, but anyways, uh, but anyways, he's a he's a science teacher who's kind of curious about the te- uh, mm-hmm. creatures. Once Billy brings uh, the Mogwai to him, and uh, he was in quite a bit of '70s TV. Uh, but uh, Zach Galligan, who plays Billy, asked him on set, you know, what was his favorite role. He asked him about his career, and he was just curious, you know, mm-hmm. what was his favorite role. And he said his favorite role was in Cooley High. Cooley High, yeah. yeah. So, and then he was recently in an episode of um, Del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh wow! It's the autopsy episode. He plays the sheriff in that one. Yeah. And that was the one that was directed by David Pryor, who made The Empty Man. So it's really uh, interesting stylistically, but I didn't really recognize him until I like looked at it. I was like, "Oh wait a second, that is him!" But I mean, it's like yeah. been forty years since. Yeah, he's been Grimmons. a lot lately. Yeah. He was he was in um he was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was in uh the Way Back, the Ben Affleck basketball movie. Bumble that was pretty good. Bumblebee. Um, yeah, he's been a lot of stuff. Good yeah, for him. Good for him. Far- then, season four. It says that's right. Yeah, he was in Fargo season four. Yeah. And then uh, Polly Holiday plays Miss Deagle, who's kind of the Mr. Potter of the picture. Yes, um, and work, yes. she was from she was from Jasper or she's from Ash, uh, Jasper, Alabama. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but anyways, she's known for this '70s sitcom called Alice, and then there was a short-lived mm-hmm. spinoff where she played her her character Flo. Uh, but I think that only lasted a season as well. Uh, but I didn't really know her. She wasn't a lot of TV. Yeah, she um, was. Um uh, but Dante said she was a great actress. He he felt bad because he felt like they kind of typecasted her because of this, and he didn't mean to. He because he, he thought she was really really talented. But yeah, she was. Uh, um, she's in. I feel like I've seen her in stuff other stuff before. Yeah, she's in Mrs. Doubtfire, um, and she's in All the Presidents Men. That's the one she's in. She's in the scene, I believe, when Dustin Hoffman's trying to get into meet with the guy. I think with with Ned Beatty. Um, and he's trying to like convince the secretary to let him in, so he like calls her on a phone, gets her to walk away, and then walks in the back. Um, oh yeah, and she's in the Parent Trap. That's right, she's in the Parent oh, Trap. The, the remake or the, the remake? Oh. She's in the remake. She's she she runs the camp that that, that Lohan meets the, the two mm-hmm. girls meet. Um, and then there's uh, another minor role was uh, Key Luke, who played uh, the salesman, uh, the guy who owns the the store that um, yes he gets uh, Gizmo from. And uh, he's kind of a historic actor. I mean, he was 80 years old when they shot this, wow. uh, but he still looked very young. 
And so they had to put all this makeup on him to make him look older. And again, Zach Galligan asked him, uh, you know, he's just curious young man. He was like, you know, how do you look so young, man? And his answer was just three simple words. No fried foods. That was that was it. That's all he gave him. Well. Um, and then, you know. Howie Mandel, the big comedian, uh, I know him from Deal or No Deal, uh, if, if you remember that, yeah, uh, yeah. the uh, game show. He was big on St. Elsewhere. Was yeah, the TV, TV uh, but he does the voice of Gizmo, which, you know, as a kid, I, I never would have, like, because I, I, you know, once I started seeing Deal or No Deal, once I lo- found that out, I was yeah. shocked. But he, hearing him in the commentary, I mean, he just switches it on like a light switch. It's yeah. insane. Uh, how, how how well he still has that voice down. Yeah. Um, and then there was also Frank Welker was the voice of Stripe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a big time, or he's a big time voice yeah. actor. Uh, he did Fred and Scooby Doo, mm-hmm. like the, from the '60s, you know. Um, and, and he and, told Howie to audition actually. Oh really? He, yeah. Because he thought he'd be yeah, a fit. I think Welker, and, and I think he's the voice of Optimus Prime. Oh uh, yeah, in the in the yeah, yeah in the old show and and the movie as well, yeah. the old movie. Um, but yeah, and then there was quite a few other voice actors that did the voices of the Gremlins, but one of the main ones was Michael Winslow, who a lot mm-hmm. of people know from the mm-hmm. Police Academy, Academy. films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also he's just that famous, like, he can do any sound effect with his mouth. It's pretty yeah. wild. Um, but something interesting, uh, which we could have touched on later, but there's really, there was no Gremlin dialogue in the script. So oh. all of that was ad-libbed in dubbing. So, like, they would try to match kind of how the mouth well, was moving. Was yeah, but a lot of times they would just kind of base it on the things that the Gremlins were looking at. So that's why they say, like, yum-yums for mm. food. Um you know, bright light, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and then another very, very minor role uh, is Jonathan Banks, who, you know, everybody knows from Mike uh, from Breaking Bad and um, mm-hmm. Better Call Saul. Yeah, he plays, plays a deputy. deputy. Yep. He's only in a few scenes, but yep. uh, I was like, wait, that's his voice. I know that's him. And yep. I looked it up. And then he was young. Yeah. yeah. And then Spielberg, Chuck Jones, and Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, everybody knows Spielberg. Chuck Jones was a famous, you know, from mm-hmm. Looney Tunes. Um, and Jerry Goldsmith is the composer, but they all have cameos in the movie. Um, I didn't see I didn't see those cameos. Yeah, so Spielberg and Jerry Goldsmith are in one of the scenes with the dad at the uh, at the um oh. the uh, trade show thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spielberg goes by in this weird car. Okay. It's like blinking, you miss it, and then Goldsmith I think is behind him on the phone. Gotcha. In the same shot, maybe or maybe it's different shots. Gotcha. And then Chuck Jones is in the bar. Um, he's teaching. He's not teaching. He's giving uh, Billy yeah. some uh, some advice on his drawing. Which is, you know, again, it's a nice yeah. little like wink, wink at the audience because yeah. it's like Chuck Jones was a big inspiration on Dante, and then mm-hmm. him playing a role that's a big inspiration on yeah. on the lead in the in the movie, and then the crew intro. I mean, it was written by Christopher Columbus, who became a Christmas yeah. aficionado in his own right. I mean, directed Home Alone one and two, Harry Potter one and two. I think are Christmas adjacent yeah, in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mean, yeah, yeah, big Christmas guy. I mean, he yeah. he did Christmas Chronicles with yeah. Kurt Russell, which um, was really on Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah, it was on Netflix. He did um, he wrote the Goonies. You said uh. Um, he didn't know what kind of, the lonely guy. Oh uh, no, no, no. Um, I think it's the lonely guy. No, that's Steve Martin. There was one he did with John Candy. Um, was one of his directed movies. Only the lonely. That's what it only is. The lonely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah and and it. also Mrs. Doubtfire, which kind of explains why um, um, Polly Holiday is in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, yeah. As the well. connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then this was directed by Joan Tande, who we already mentioned. Um, but I'll, I'll get more into his career in the history of production. Yeah. Uh, produced by Michael Fennell, who worked with Dante on The Howling, which was the movie before this. And he was also from the Corman camp. Okay. Uh, and he continued to work with Dante up until Small Soldiers. So he's kind oh, of a wow. big big part of uh, Dante's career and kind of his like brother-in-arms in a way. And then, obviously, produced by Spielberg, yeah. who has always had Dante's back throughout the entire production. Yeah. We'll talk about that more as we get to the production, mm-hmm. uh, history of production. And then, of course, Jerry Goldsmith, who... Needs absolutely no introduction. At this point, he had like 30 years in the business already. Um, and some of some of the credits I listed yeah. before this movie. But, I mean, 
We're talking like Planet of the Apes, Chinatown, which is one yeah. of my favorite scores of all Great time. Score. The Omen, Alien, Star Trek, the motion picture, Poltergeist. I mean, it goes on and it lists Goldsmith on. is kind of one of those guys where every like old head Hollywood's just like it was Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith yeah. was the best because and I we had I had a professor who who talks about him how like they're like he could do kind of anything. He do any type of style for your film and i mean even within this movie it kind of yeah it, it feels like a kind of christmasy thing but then yeah. he has like the gremlins theme mm-hmm. and like you know it's uh it's interesting how he balances the yeah it's he could it, be it was a great balance between like artist and workman if that makes yeah. sense where it's like he, he, he very very it's like he i don't know if he's as distinct as say like a john williams or a Hans zimmer um but goldsmith was one that he could but it's almost like uh, Goldsmith scores could always be could be someone else as well, but also they had his like stamp on it in some way. He just could do anything. It felt like, um, and he knew when to put bring in music and when to not have music as a thing, which is vital for a composer. Yeah. Very vital. It's like I, I was I was listening to uh, speaking of John Williams, listening to Spielberg talk about him for the Fablemans and how like Williams just like we're not bringing in music for a while, and Spielberg's like, what do you mean we should bring in music? Oh, he's like, no, we'll bring it in when we need to. And so that's why it's like there's, the music doesn't come until much later yeah, yeah. in that movie because Williams knows when to put music in. You don't want to overplay it. For sure, for sure. So that's the cast and crew. Yeah. Uh, so like we'll go, we can get to the initial thoughts. Yeah. So, I mean, it was funny. It was like when you said Christmas horror to me, like yeah. without, you were like, oh, next month we're doing Christmas horror. Without a hesitation, I just went Gremlins. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do Gremlins. <laughs> and you were like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, but what, so I can go into my history, but what's your history with Gremlins? I'm curious. Um, my my history with Gremlins is not vast. Um, this is my second time watching it. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, uh, the first time I watched it was a movie night. I think with our friend Ray, who was a big Gremlins fan, and which is his name in our Discord as well. Yes, yes, <laughs> he, he, yes. Gremlins. Yeah, a, por- a portion of it is. Um, but he's a big Gremlins fan, and so that was I think one of our very early movie nights. We watched Gremlins. Oh, so you very- didn't see it till an adult. Oh wow! I didn't see. Yeah, that was 2017. Oh wow! So I was yeah I was uh twenty five I think is what it was twenty six twenty six, um so that was my first time watch it was I don't know it was one that like I feel like as a kid I had seen it and I thought it was too scary and then just for some reason I never revisited re- watched it for some reason I don't know why um it's one I think I would have liked as a as a kid what's well, a good starter horror movie it I is think, I it think. is. Um, but it's one, yeah, I didn't come till till much later in life. And so, and I, I've, I've seen Gremlins too. I've only seen that once as well. Um, which is a, it's a vastly different, yeah. uh, style. Um, but yeah, I always liked it because I liked the, when it came off as, oh, Dante's making a Douglas Sirk movie, but it's just a, a horror comedy. Right. Cause the, like the snowy, like, yeah. uh, the snowy neighborhood and the Christmas lights feels like. It could be from like all that heaven allows from Douglas Sirk or something with right. Rock Hudson and Jane Wyman, and it just ha- or Frank Capra type thing where it's yeah he described very, the set as Capra esque yeah it's very Capra esque it's like it's it's the type neighborhood that's almost otherworldly because it's picturesque it's yeah it's, it's the thing um, and Zach Galligan described it as timeless yes and he thinks Zach Galligan argued that that's one of the reasons it holds up is because you, you can't really place it because it's it feels like exactly. a kind of fairy tale fable yes, town it's this, it's, yeah. yeah this like Norman Rockwell yeah. like a slice of Americana s- that, yeah. small town America that no one's actually ever ex- well some people probably have experienced but haven't experienced it, it feels almost like a Preston Sturgis-esque like town yeah 
where everything seems to be perfect, but the but the characters in it are so like almost cartoonish in the way. It's right. like she, it's like uh, Polly Holly's character, the the kind of the Mr. Potter of it the all, curmudgeon, the yeah. curmudgeon old woman feels that's like, trying to like re re. There's there's more plot yeah. to this, but she's trying to like repurpose the town in some way. She's like restructuring yes. the town. Yeah, she's getting out. Like she doesn't care about the people who yeah. are struggling. It's and she's, she's very like a Wicked Witch of the West type thing. Yeah. And she was, hates his dog. Hates she hates his dog. dog. It's, it's, it's what it feels like uh, 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 Mark Hamilton from Wizard of Oz. Um, no, yeah, it, it's it's uh, that's what I think Dante does very well is that he blends old Hollywood styles with a modern mm-hmm. edge is the thing. Well, it's good because I, I mean that was. According to the commentary, that was his mo. That was his yes. Uh, was, that was his goal. With man, and he does he does that successfully. And I think he does that in a lot of his movies. But I think Gremlins is kind of the perfect example yeah. of him subverting your traditional Amer- American life, right? Uh, essentially, have you seen Have you seen Matinee? I have seen Matinee. Yeah, I really like Matinee. I and like again, Matinee a lot. It does a similar thing, I think, yes. with, the, with the town. But and Matinee feels more like a love letter to, to like B movies, yeah, to B movies, and also to growing up in that ta- like that kind of period right. of watching it. But there is, I mean, that's the thing with and eighties was just a weird period where like m- movies you could tell were and were like influenced or were, were like. They were in, movies that were coming out were being influenced by other movies, but not in the same way nowadays. Where like it feels like again, where they're harkening back to a older time. Right. And now you could argue it's it's how we view eighties. It's it's the it's the thing is that people how they're influenced by eighties movies. But at this point, with Dante and this, they're being influenced by Frank Capra, Douglas Sirk, um, uh, any of those nineteen forties right. direct forty fifties director. Um, but now it's like it's we're getting a carbon copy of of it in a way where we're like we're we're looking at the eighties, but we're missing kind of how the eighties were influenced by other things. Right. Anyway, that's my that's my rant about that. So that's that's my history on Gremlins yeah. and Joe Dante. What about you with oh, this man, movie? I must have seen this movie. I'd say a hundred times, maybe. I don't know. Oh wow. I mean, I, I had it on. So I've had it on four formats. This is one of the rare movies I've had on four. <laughs> so I had it on the clamshell VHS as a kid. Oh wow. So yeah, I mean, I was like probably seven or eight when I first watched. Okay. It. And matter of fact, so when was the when did you find out that Santa Claus wasn't real? Oh God, don't make don't make me reveal that on on, t- on this show. I don't know. So I was Elementary I was in school? first I remember this I was in first grade and this uh-huh. guy this he was in fifth grade he told me uh-huh. not only that he didn't just tell me about Santa Claus he told me about everybody Easter Bunny t- Tooth Fairy yeah. it's all fake so I go home I'm tore up my mom finds out she's about to go whoop whoop this guy's ass um anyways <laughs> so but anyways so I hadn't he's like smoking so I had already it's all fake baby. but I already knew about Santa Claus before I saw this movie so yeah, that yeah. scene didn't really traumatize me but I feel like yeah. that scene probably would have traumatized yes. a lot of kids anyways um my history with it yeah I've owned it on four formats I had the VHS I had the Snapcase DVD mm-hmm. I had it on Blu-ray and now I have the 4K which by the way I definitely recommend if you want to revisit this okay. uh, like it, very crisp I bet the, yeah I bet the colors are, yeah. are oh yeah it, I mean, yeah just the look of it like yeah. the lighting it, it's 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 really uh, they did a good job um, but yeah, so I mean, and I've seen it a bunch of times since I was yeah. But I think my, what I was going to go get to with this is I think there's a lot of movies from my childhood that if I went back and watched them, mm-hmm. nostalgia's blinding kind of thing. Like, like yeah. would the 90s Teenage Mutant, the first like, 90s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, would that be the masterpiece that I thought it was when I was eight years old? Probably not. I would probably still enjoy it. No. But yeah. this, I think, I think holds up for a lot of reasons. I again. agree with that. I think it's uh, how it looks at Christmas and stuff. So Yeah, uh, I agree. So, it's it's, a, it's in a lot of rotations for people, right? Like so I, I can still watch this as an adult and be f- and and enjoy it. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I think there's some movies that would have been they of this their, caliber to me at luster. seven years old. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. That I had on VHS that wore the tape out that would not be. Yeah, um, 
of this caliber. I agree. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my history with it. Mm-hmm. But now we can kind of get into the production. If the, okay. Yeah, cool. So yeah, so uh, it started with Chris Columbus, who, like I said, I mentioned, wrote the the draft, uh, the the initial draft, um, which was a spec script. He wrote okay. a spec script while still in school. He was still in college. Yeah. Not only that, uh, he sold his first screenplay as a sophomore at NYU. Yeah. Which was prior to this. And so he not, already had some credibility. Yeah, and that's like a diss to Chris Columbus, but like. That dude was pretty damn good. Yeah. Like starting oh, yeah. out, like he was really, yeah. yeah. I, we 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 don't realize how good yeah. he was at the beginning part. But he had that. He got the idea of this. Well, part of the um, the uh, seed of the idea was he would be sleeping in his bed at night in the, in his New York apartment, mm-hmm. and he would hear mice like just skitter around at at, at night. And so it kind of gave him this idea of like, oh, little creatures running around. Um, that kind of was the initial seed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, he already had some credibility, but the script was kind of getting passed around until it landed on. Steven Spielberg's desk, who found it unique yeah. uh, and thought it was a very cool concept, and he was like, okay, I'm going to option this. Um, so, like I said, he, he originally wrote it as a spec script. He didn't expect it to get made, but, uh, you know, which never, rarely happens in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> you write a spec script, they're like, oh, okay, it's actually a, actually a cool right idea. Out, right yeah. out of college. So, right but anyway, so that initial draft was very different from the movie okay. we see now. Um, some of the changes. Uh, in the original draft, there's no, uh, like, Gizmo doesn't stay Gizmo the whole movie. He oh. turns into Stripe. Which caused a lot of headaches. We'll talk about when we get to production. Well, he turns into like the 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 leader of them. He's yeah. not necessarily stripe, but not like he's uh, the stripe. Yeah, yeah. The uh, equivalent. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was way more violent. Some examples. They eat the dog. Uh, oh God. The mother dies in the attic scene, and they throw her head down the stairs to scare Billy. Um, and even in the draft I read, which is the second draft dated April twenty seventh, nineteen eighty two, Pete dies in that draft. They they eat Pete. Well, they don't eat him, but they attack him and, and kill him. All right. Um, All right. And but the most important change I think was there was no rules. No, uh, no. Well, it's not that there was no rules. They just didn't have that like that, uh, that explain it. Yeah. 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 Magway still um, reproduces asexually. It's just like an accident, and they discover which they still do in this one. But they already know not to get it wet. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings up my story question of how you give it a bath. Like, is it just, <laughs> is it a cat? Does it like lick itself? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, so they didn't have those rules, which I which I think is interesting because I think that's like the crux of the movie. Yeah. And Dante the whole time was like, is this gonna work? Uh, are people gonna think this is mm-hmm. this is dumb? Uh, but no, people buy into it like anything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you have your one mumbo jumbo, and you can get away yeah. with it. He does it early on. Yeah, but the the entire commentary they keep going back to this like, well, after midnight, well, after midnight, we're because technically always after midnight. So you know, it's after midnight somewhere. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, um, so and then I'll get into a little bit about the Gremlins mythos, like the idea of, yeah. of Gremlins. So it started as a legend in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, mechanical errors on planes, they would blame them on Gremlins, little creatures known as Gremlins. Uh, Roald Dahl, Dahl wrote a book in nineteen forty three which Dante cited was uh, somewhat of an influence. Mm-hmm. And according to the commentary, he carried it around with him. I don't, I don't know how oh. accurate that is. Uh, but apparently Disney uh, Animation was going to make an animated film back mm-hmm. back then, back in the mm-hmm. 40s, uh, but it never came to fruition for some reason. Uh, but there is a Bugs Bunny short. Where Possibly he, World War II. Yeah. Well, there is a Bugs Bunny <laughs> short where he fights a, a gremlin in an okay. airplane. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure when that came out, but around that time. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, by his own account, by Dante's own account, uh, he was not in a good place when uh, when this was coming when you know when this was in the pipeline. Okay. Uh, the Howling came out in 1981. That was his yeah. movie before this. It was a modest success. I mean, it made yeah. 17.9 million on a 1.5 million dollar budget yeah. in 1981, which is I mean yeah, I, that's pretty for good. First feature, yeah, yeah pretty good. good. And it's an independent. It was an independent yeah. movie, you know, but uh, it didn't really lead you know to more jobs. Yeah. Uh, so he at the time he was he directed a couple episodes of the Police Squad, you know, the Zucker series mm-hmm. with. Um, mm-hmm. Wesley uh, Nielsen, uh, yep. yeah, uh, and he apparently he was also doing like some storyboard kind of work, but he wasn't. He was trying to get his next movie off. Yeah, yeah. You know, he wanted to do another movie. 
Uh, but before all that, he started with Roger Corman, you know, mm-hmm. the big, the big uh, independent filmmaker. He was making independent movies when that wasn't really what it is now, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but so Dante worked, and and Corman would always. He, I mean, there's so many filmmakers that came through the Corman camp. Yep. We can, I mean, we could list them off. Yeah. Um, and a lot of titans of the, the yeah, industry. James Cameron, yeah. Ron Howard, yeah. uh, uh, but, even Scorsese, like yeah. But uh, but Corman would always say, if you do a good job for me one or two mm-hmm. times, you'll never have to work for me again. Yep. So Dante started with him. He worked as an editor for a while. He co-directed a movie called Hollywood Boulevard, which have you seen? Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, so he co-directed that with Alan Arkush, who was mm-hmm. also he co-edited some movies with. Yeah, because um, Alan Arkush did uh, Rock and Roll High School. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, and uh, uncredited uh, Dante's uncredited co-director. Oh, and that, on, okay. on Rock and Roll High School. Oh, okay. um, but uh, he also, of course, he directed Piranha, Piranha which was, was one, yes. which was his first big thing. Yeah, and uh, it was you know a Jaws knockoff. Yeah. So Universal gets mad. They're yep. like, oh, you can't release this. They're, yeah. they're threatening to sue. So Spielberg ends up watching Piranha, and he's like, you know what? This is kind of funny. I don't care. Yeah. And he tells him, no, don't, don't sue him. It doesn't matter. And so they got away with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, Rock and Roll High School. Yeah, he, he's uncredited co-director on Rock and Roll High School, mm-hmm. which was shot by Dean Cundey. Mm-hmm. Spielberg Connection, Hook, Jurassic Park, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Co-produced by Corman and Michael Fennell, who ended Would later up be, yeah, yeah. Okay. Direct, uh, produced The Howling and this. Um, but anyways, he, he so at this point he's not doing very well. He sent the script to Gremlins. He thinks it's a mm-hmm. joke. Like, how does this end up here in my hands? But Spielberg thought he would be a good fit because yeah. of the tone of the Howling. Yep. He'd seen the Howling, and again, I, as I mentioned, he had seen Piranha like years yep. prior, and he thought he'd be a good fit. Um, and he wanted to make a relatively cheap horror film, so he thought yeah. that he thought Dante could pull it off. Yeah, the experience of making yeah. horror, yes, yeah, and again, you know, the Corman experience. But mm-hmm. uh, the budget ended up rising as they're like talking through this because mm-hmm. they realized the extent of the effects. Yep. Uh, so they ended up working with Warner Bros. with a $11 million budget. Um, okay. And this was actually, uh, again, according to the commentary, uh, this was Spielberg's first feature through Amblin. Um, possibly. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't the first released one. Yeah. Um, I know the first released one was uh, Continental Divide with John Belushi, funny enough. Oh, wow. Um, but I don't know what the extent of that was. Like, if he came on late or whatever. This could easily be the first one. Yeah. That like. Um, but anyways, they co. Amblin and Universe. Or uh, sorry, Warner Bros. Amblin and Universe. I mean, Amblin and Warner Bros. Co-produced it. Okay. Uh, and Spielberg, you know, again was his champion. Dante's champion throughout the production. You know, when uh, Dante went to the suits and they wouldn't get things done for him, he'd go to Spielberg, and Spielberg would kind of cut through yep. the, the mass. Um, but while they were trying to get Gremlins off the ground, Dante directed his portion of the Twilight Zone movie, uh, which mm-hmm. was a remake of the famous episode "It's a Good Life," mm-hmm. it, which is. You know, one of the better considered ones. by many, yeah, yeah, one of the better ones. But I think I think this is important because some of the changes that were made to the original episode kind of show Dante's use of cartoonish humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when the kid utilizes his power, it's very, yep. very cartoonish and over the top. Whereas the original episode was way more subtle mm-hmm. in, in that regard. Um, and uh, you know, of course, Spielberg also directed his portion of the anthology, yes, the Kick the Can, yeah. I believe it was. And uh, and the movie is infamous for the death of Vic Morrow, unfortunately, uh, during John Landis's mm-hmm. uh, Vic scenes, Morrow and so. the two and the two kids, that, and the two, yeah, yeah. the two. Uh, uh, Vietnamese, right? Vietnamese mm-hmm. children, yeah. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, who should well, not have been there, I will say. Right. That. Who should well, not yeah. have been there in that Well, no, well that whole thing should, yeah. is a yeah. cluster, but yeah. uh, it happened, unfortunately. And uh, Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so he was doing that. At, he, he directed that in between, but then they started getting Gremlins going, uh, and so they got to casting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they did some tapes, and there was a particular tape between uh, Phoebe Cates and Zach Galligan that Spielberg loved. Because Zach Galligan apparently at one point like put his head on her shoulder and Spielberg goes, he's already in love with her. That's, that's our guy. That's Billy. He's already in love with her. Um, but there were some other people that were considered an audition for yeah. Billy. One was Emilio Estevez. 
But Spielberg saw his tape and he saw him internalizing. He caught a moment where he's internalizing. He said, yeah. no, that's not this movie. Yeah. No, so he, yeah. he was chucked out. And the fellow Breakfast Club actor, Judd Nelson, also auditioned. <laughs> but apparently he got so into the scene. Oh, yeah. It sounded like Judd Nelson. He grabbed an ashtray and tossed it across the room and almost hit Mike, Michael Fennell. Yeah. So that he was Judd thrown Nelson. out after that. Yeah. Um, but again, Galligan <laughs> said that he very much related to the role. Um, and he also mentioned that his mother, who, you know, when his mother ended up getting cast, he, mm-hmm. she reminded him so much of his real mother. Uh-huh. So he thought, found it kind of strange how real to life this was yeah. uh, for his role. So he was, he was kind of the perfect choice at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, and then for his dad, Hoyt was the, always the first choice. Oh, wow. Uh, Dante said, you know, he had a perfect voice. And so when they decided to change the opening scene and add that voiceover, mm-hmm. it just worked out perfectly because his voice was just perfect for that, yeah. that kind of initial, uh, initial uh, introduction. Yeah. But there were some other people that were uh, considered – Pat Harrington Jr. was close to getting the part. Okay. And apparently Pat Hingle gave a great uh, take like, it, it was a, as his failed inventor. Yeah. And it was like, Dante said he loved it, but he was like, it wasn't right for the movie, yeah. unfortunately. Pat Hingle, who is Commissioner Gordon right. in the first four Batmans. We've talked about him several. He was on Splinter in the Grass. Uh, I think he was involved in, we were, he was almost involved in the number we talked about. Him but I want to see that tape. I want to see that tape where he's like the failed inventor and he's like, creates a way bigger character yeah. than, than yeah. it's on the page, you know? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, yeah. So that was kind of the uh, that's kind of the gist of um, the the history of how it got into production. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. So favorite scenes. Uh, do you have, you have some favorite scenes? So let's see here. What do we have here? Um, well, this might be jumping ahead. Um, I really like Phoebe Cates in this movie, for one. Absolutely. And and she doesn't have as much as she should, but the, the scenes that she's in. So I love the scene when she's like this again, kind of this anti-Christmas type thing when she's talking with Billy about like why, how people can get depressed during Christmas. Mm-hmm. What do you mean depressed? The first time or the when the first time? Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, the first time. And then I love the I love. I mean, the that's home. a good shot. That's a good shot too. Yeah, yeah. when they're walk, when they're yeah. still walking, talk down and, and then in the neighborhood, I just people don't get depressed during. I don't get depressed during Christmas. Um, well, I mean, I think I think it brings up a good point too because people. Okay, I'm not a Christmas person. I'll be the yeah, first yeah, day. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I have no knock against people if that if it gets you like super happy and this time of year it gets you super happy. Fine. Yeah. But I think people kind of ignore the fact that some people don't have that. Yeah. And it's not like there's like a traumatic thing. It's just like I've never had that bone in my body. Like I just yeah. Like it's fine. Like it's another yeah. holiday to me. Yeah. Um, and I you know I don't want to knock on anybody's parade, but I also don't think you should be like you shouldn't like convert the non-Christmas people. You know. <laughs> Yes, you should, Dave. No, no, no. Uh, um, you are not giving me the Christmas spirit. It's yeah. not happening. As we sit here with our Christmas tree in our room, yeah, in, right. our, in our living room. Um, no, yeah, I, but I just, lo- but I love the kind of like because at that point, like I don't know if there's really been outside of like Scrooge, like and even then you had that turn around, like oh, Christmas is really important, right? But it was uh, kind of his lesson, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the lesson in this moment where you see like someone actually like like actively saying I don't like Christmas and. It doesn't turn around. I don't think she's like, oh, no. yeah, now I love Christmas. Like, but let's also look at her character. She's working days at the bank, yes. nights at the bar for yes. free. Yes. During the holidays. During the holidays, doesn't care. And then you yeah. have the big reveal. <laughs> I just think one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie <laughs> is when she reveals. It's so dark. But like that's what this, like that's just a perfect kind of um, summation of the, summation yeah. of of this type of movie, and specifically Joe Dante, when she's telling about how like. She hates Christmas because her father got stuck and died in the chimney posing as Santa Claus. And that's when she found out that Santa Claus wasn't real. Right. And which is why I asked that question. Earlier. Yeah. Because then because that's the other thing, too, is going with that is that a lot of those movies in that period where like it, oh, Santa Claus is a real thing. And so that, that's always kind of the twist is that like 
the adults don't believe, but then somehow Santa Claus right. is real at the end. Like Elf, for example. Like Elf, or like, um, I think of like Ernest Saves Christmas, or Miracle on 34th Street. But this, and I think, I guess Christmas Story kind of references that Santa Claus isn't real. But this is like directly saying that's how I found Santa Claus wasn't real. But it's just like the dark, the darkness of like, picture this young girl finding out Santa Claus isn't that's the thing By she her remembers, father dying. That, that's the thing she remembers the most that Santa right. Claus isn't real. Yeah. When her father died. Yeah. Down the chim- going down the chimney. Yeah. But also the way she delivers that is it's really perfect. Yeah. Because it's so it's so serious. It's yeah. so she does it in such a serious way and it's lit like dramatic and and it's the kind of, and I think and it just cuts and I'm mistaken. It just goes, and that's when I realized Santa Claus wasn't yeah, real. And then, boom, cut. Back to good ones. And I'm like, great, yeah, we can't we can't top this. <laughs> yeah. We can't top this scene. So we'll talk later about why that was controversial and and why that almost got cut. But okay. yeah, but yeah. But yes, it's, I lo- I love those two scenes with her. Um I wish she was in it more. Um uh, by the by the I, end, I do wonder if she had more scenes because I yeah. I know they cut a lot, like I said, they cut a lot of the bank stuff, so I wonder yeah. if she was in more of that. Is she kind of like she's there and then I think maybe kind of after that, I don't like Christmas yeah. thing. She doesn't pop back up again until she's trying to serve all the gremlins at the bar. Yeah, which the is initial draft was even scene. worse about this. Well, it's not only that, not that it just their relationship didn't feel as organic. Oh, interesting. And also, she's full blown dating the guy that's kind of oh his Judge Reinhold. Yeah, it, his character Billy's character is way different in the draft that I read. Also, oh. they're named different, they're okay. different character names. But he was way different in the draft that I read. Yeah, yeah, but but um, no, but yeah, I like that. I like those scenes. Um, Again, I love this the vibe that that Dante goes for throughout the entire movie of this wonder it's a wonderful life, Capra, Bella Cirque. Yeah, how about that shot through the town, the long tracking shot oh, through yeah. the town at the beginning? Yeah. yeah. Right after the title. Yeah. Oh man. It's just phenomenal stuff. It feels like a you know, an old school like Christmas movie. You mm-hmm. know? It, it does a great job of like mimicking what those films were. Um and then yeah, I just I love the like uh, we'll go into kind of the Gremlins attack because the Gremlins right. stuff is great. That's uh, kind of what all, all my it's, list. Is. It's the big. Ca- it's yeah. it's the it's the. I mean, the that's fi- what sold the movie. The final thirty minutes of just pure Gremlins chaos. Yeah, it feels Arky, like. Yeah. But I love the um, I love the mom's kitchen fight with the Gremlins. Yeah. Um, I think that was great. Um, Another controversial sequence, and uh, in the draft I read, actually yeah. Billy is the well, obviously because his mom dies in the attic scene. Yeah, he's the one that murders all of them, but he has a sword. So he, that mm-hmm. sword bit. Yeah, have, did you notice mm-hmm. that when they close the door, the sword? Key? Yeah. So in the original draft that I read, he actually is like a he's a fantasy writer instead of a cartoonist, okay. or instead of a instead of an illustrator, um, mm. and he's working on a novel. Okay. And so he but he his Christmas present to himself is he gets this sword. And so okay. he uses the sword basically throughout the entire third act to murder all these gremlins, but he also kills them in the kitchen the same way that she does. Wow. It's just he's the one that he's does it. He's the one that does yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I like that they've made it to where it was her. I was like, say, yeah, the mom, it, it works better. Yeah, because you need something. Yeah. Because like, cause then that character is just non-existent yeah. in that movie, but it gives him sort of some sort but of... But that sequence in particular and the heart from Temple of Doom are pretty much cited as the, the reason for PG-13. PG-13, yes. <laughs> because yes. the summer of 84, these movies come out and yeah. parents are like, well, we can't bring kids to this. This yeah. is too violent. Yeah. This? And honestly, I mean, both... Well, not this scene didn't traumatize me as a kid, but the heart traumatized me as a kid. Oh, yeah, that yeah, That Temple yeah, of Doom yeah. scene yeah. scared the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah. Which is funny because Temple of Doom was actually my favorite at, the, <laughs> at that age of Indiana Jones. <laughs> Those, um... Debatable. Um, no, no, I wouldn't say that now. Raiders. Okay, right, right, yeah. But um, I, I think Temple of Doom is the best sequel. Yep. All right. Um, <laughs> well, it's not a sequel. It's a prequel. Uh, no, anyway. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, it's the, the jumping out of the tree uh, with yeah. the gremlins in that sequence. It's great, too. It's, it's, yeah, it's, and it's, he does behead the, that gremlin with a sword. Yeah. So, yeah, with yeah. that sword. Yeah. And, and it goes into the fire. Right. right yeah. Um, but yeah, I, lo- I love that scene. What about you? What's the scene that you. So, like, uh, right, like pretty much right after the bar scene. 
Uh, yes. What's interesting uh, is on the commentary track, as soon as they get to the bar scene, Chris Wallace, who we'll talk about later, he kind of designed the Gremlins. Yeah. He was very much in charge of like bringing them to life. Yeah. He just groans. As soon as it cuts <laughs> to the bars, he just groans on the track. Uh, but apparently this was a three-day shoot. It took three days oh, wow. to shoot. Uh, Phoebe was you know, 10 in the bar, yeah. obviously, in the scene. Yeah. And she screams at one point. And, yeah. I, and it made it in the movie. But apparently it wasn't because of the Gremlins or anything. There was just a cockroach on the bar. Because they're shooting this for three days. There's yeah. old beer, yeah. popcorn everywhere. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's gross. But um, I love this scene. And I love like all the gremlins. Do you have a favorite gremlin in this scene? I mean, I love the like detective noir gremlin yeah. who's off in the corner. Kind of influenced by Bogart, yeah. Is that, that's where it just feels like pure... Dante, yeah. Dante, where it's like, we got this one doing this, we got this one doing this. Uh, I think this sequence and then immediately after like the Snow White yeah. theater, I think that all yeah. captures Dante's it's, sense yeah, of humor. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like, see, pure yeah. anarchy. Um, but yeah, I love that whole scene uh, with them and just kind of you're getting all the different characters. That's, yeah. that's that's the that's the key with this is like they do a good job of giving the gremlins character and somehow development um, and not just like blanket creatures. Right. Like you have Stripe is a very specific right. one. I know they do it even more later in, in Gremlins 2 where they yeah. have very specific. The spider gremlins. Yes, yeah, very specific gremlins. But yeah, it's that they, they try to give character to them. In that moment, and yeah, and you go and into in, the theater scene as well, yeah, yeah, and then you go into the theater scene, which is great, where they're just kind of all like singing the sing, hi ho, and again, again, harkening back to it reminds me a little bit of like I don't know, I can't remember if you've seen it or not, but 1941 Spielberg's 1941 because I haven't seen that. There's a sequence when they got the, the like the, the lieutenant or whatever who's head the army or whatever in L.A. like is watching Dumbo and at I think I think the Chinese theater or something <laughs> where he's just like. Dan's getting away with me watching Dumbo, and he's like in an empty theater watching Dumbo because <laughs> Dumbo came out right around that time. But it reminded me of that of just like where you're gonna have a moment where we're just gonna sit down, like like, like Disney would never let this happen no. nowadays, where they're no watching or in a horror movie they're watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or whatever. Right. Like it's it's almost insane to see how it's changed yeah. with that. But yeah, but it, but but it's also a moment where Dante can kind of showcase his love of animation. I yes, think. I yeah. agree. And it, har- and it harkens back to that earlier time. Right. And even to kind of go on, it's the interesting connection of Disney wanting to make a Gremlins-like movie yeah. earlier, and now they're putting And Disney around the time this. of Snow White, yeah. or a little bit after Snow White. Um, do you have another scene? Yes, yeah, so I mean, the whole final battle with Stripe, I think, is awesome. Yes. And I, that was kind of like the moment as, as a kid that I always loved, seeing, Gremlin, uh, seeing um, uh, Gizmo drive the car, and you yeah. know, the, fi- the whole final battle, which the we jump, will get into yeah. on, the, on the onset life. But yeah, that's, my, that's probably my favorite sequence in the movie. Yeah. So we can get to onset life. Okay. Uh, so it was kind of a chaotic shoot, uh, uh, mostly due to effects issues. Yeah. Uh, but Dante, one of the funny bits I, that I heard, uh, Dante said that the dog, uh, Mushroom, was the real dog's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they plays Barney in the movie. Yeah. Uh, they played Barney in the movie. Uh, was one of the best actors he's ever worked with. <laughs> uh, and he genuinely, the dog genuinely thought the creatures were real. Oh, wow. So like anytime he needed to, he would just cut to a shot of the dog or he would have the dog in frame, you know, like yeah. reacting to the, because, uh, but he said that's one of the best actors he ever worked with. And which is even funnier thinking about the fact that they had uh, all these issues with the puppets, you know, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the animatronics. But, and everybody on the commentary, I mean, it sounded like they, there were some fond memories on this yeah. shoot. But also trauma. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So Chris Wallace, who I mentioned earlier, he 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 designed the creatures, but he was mm-hmm. also kind of over. He was overseeing all of this, like mm-hmm. the animatronics, puppetry, all that stuff. He said that this was the closest he's ever come to a near death experience. Oh, God. Uh, Dante uh, said after they finally wrapped, he locked himself in a room for a weekend yeah. uh, and just slept. Yeah, uh, right. which makes sense. Yeah. So, but but basically, so the the, the shoot they yeah. shot a bulk of the movie with the actor, the bulk of the movie with the actors first. Okay, uh, and this was most of the shots with the actors and the effects. Mm-hmm. And then they took a small break. When I say small break, it was like a week or two. Okay, and then they come back for a few more months. 
none of them could agree on how long this window was. It was like one, two, or three months. This changed throughout the commentary. <laughs> but this was all to focus on the effects and then uh, some reshoots. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, imagine that. I mean, they, they shoot for a month with the actors and then three months on just effects. So, yeah. obviously, the puppetry effects are a big part of the movie because it's called Gremlins. And it's yeah. Gremlins. Um, and that's part of what inspired me as a kid and probably a lot of kids uh, mm-hmm. was uh, the practical effects. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, he so so Chris Wallace had months of pre-production kind of to design these things mm-hmm. and and that but they didn't really have a lot of time to test unfortunately so they were all they were basically flying by the seat of their pants for most of the yeah. shoot um, but they did lots of tricks yeah. uh, they tried marionette marionettes mm-hmm. uh, but Don, and Dante actually pointed out one shot in the bar where it was a marionette Clear, yeah but uh, they didn't really work so they didn't use that a lot uh, there's stop motion occasionally or yeah. not occasionally there's a few points of stop motion uh, one example is when the all the gremlins are coming up the street um, which I think is. My one of my least favorite things in the movie. Understandable, is that yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but mostly they used the animatronics yeah. and puppetry yeah. uh, because of that. Because of that reason, um, there was a so under the house set under the Billy's house mm-hmm. set there was a pit, and they called this the dungeon. Um, so there was a bunch of puppeteers down there for most of the you know anytime they're shooting yeah, effects, yeah. and they all have monitors. So, we're, but we're not talking about like modern day monitors because yeah. modern day monitors you get the you oh can it's, just it's link it's, it. yeah. yeah it's a handheld thing yeah. you're walking around but with. But old school monitors you had to like literally plug it in and like yeah. yeah. So so if a monitor goes down, we're talking like there's a bunch of puppeteers down here. Yeah. So monitor, one monitor goes down, they're like okay we gotta hold the shot, we gotta we, yeah. we gotta wait till we get this monitor back up. Uh, and also because it was film, you know it's, it's mm-hmm. tapped to a film. They, it, the image is reversed on the monitor. Oh. So I can't imagine trying to puppeteer this stuff. God, man. Uh, yeah. But anyways, <laughs> they called it the dungeon. Apparently there are a bunch of rats and like bugs down there and stuff. Yeah, so uh, they, they, it sounded like that was not a pleasant place to be. Mm-hmm. But when they could, uh, which is they a lot... They let them come up and have some well, food. Yes, <laughs> but when they could, they would try to hide the wires through like structures and stuff. Okay. So one example is like when Gizmo's sitting on the, the sink, mm-hmm. uh, when he's bandaging him after he gets mm-hmm. you know attacked. Um they they set that up. So this is a funny story. They they set it up all day. They set that shot up all uh-huh. day, and then they hit meal mil penalty. So like, okay, well we gotta we gotta break for lunch. We we yeah. didn't even shoot it. They yeah. come back. They come back after meal. Like it takes another hour to set it up again. Then they finally get the shot off the ground. And you know how many takes? Who knows yeah. how many takes they did? Because Gizmo was probably breaking down at that point. Um, <laughs> but they do other tricks. You know, they don't always show the. They don't often show the gremlins moving. Mm-hmm. For example, there's that scene where Billy's kind of chasing Stripe around the YMCA or. Or no, the school. Sorry, yeah. Or chasing that gremlin around the school, and the it sneaks it through the vent, and you just mm-hmm. see it drag something. You don't actually see the uh-huh. gremlin move. Uh, so they did a lot of tricks like that. Okay. Um, but everyone in the crew hated the Gizmo Mogway animatronic because <laughs> because it was so small, it often broke down. Yeah, yeah. And Chris Chris Wallace begged them, at, you know, early on in pre-production, yeah. can we make it bigger, please, man? Can we can we just make it bigger because it's going to solve us all a bunch of headaches? But but. Both Dante and Spielberg agreed. Like it has to be small for it the. It has to be cute. It has to be cute. Exactly. Yeah. That's just, you know, so 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 they hated this this animatronics these animatronics so much that they made a list of terrible things that they could do to Gizmo in the movie, and they let the crew write write whatever they wanted that they think they could feasibly pull off, <laughs> and that's how they came up with the Dartburg gag. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the, but that was like their when they shot that shot, the crew was just excited because they're like, yeah. we can finally torture this animatronic that just gave us headaches this entire time. But there were multiple Gizmo puppets. Um, so sometimes they would do Texas switches in the shot. Okay. So like Billy would be carrying one, and then yeah. he'd kind of set it off frame, yeah. and then it would pan and then mm-hmm. reveal another a different puppet. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So they did tricks like that. Um, they had eight or nine little faces that they could put on those Gizmo on the um, oh, yeah. Mogwai puppets yeah. to like show different expressions. Yeah. Um, and but then they had a bigger Mogwai head for close-ups. So okay. like that scene where they're eating the chicken, that's yeah. all the bigger head. So that okay. one's like a few feet across. So oh, they wow. was able to show more like emotion. Obviously. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, uh, and then that, this, a lot of this was the reason they came up with like 
ways to hide Gizmo. Because uh, right. again, he, Gizmo was not meant originally. Gizmo was not meant to be in this whole second half of the movie. He turns into a bigger gremlin. Mm-hmm. So that's why they came up with the idea of putting him in the backpack for like yeah. a large part of the third act. Uh, they hide him in the helmet when the eggs are hatching. Yeah, which is another one of my favorite scenes, by the way. Um, and they basically they did anything they could do to keep him from walking because it was like if we if we show him walking we are gonna be it's gonna be chaos. <laughs> so even the car at the end, for example, like yeah. that's another way they the, could cheat, yeah. you know. So uh, they and probably the, had, it's probably it's probably remote control right, car, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so for the effects, you know, they would shoot at different speeds. They shoot things in reverse. Um, that scene in the kitchen, the mom kind of ducks behind the corner. Mm-hmm. It's reversed, uh, so so that they could show the gremlin do something in the background. I think it's like in the blend the blender mix or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that yeah, shot is reversed. Yeah, if you if you, it on. Yeah, if you yeah. watch it again, you'll notice. Uh, I didn't notice it until they oh, mentioned it in the comment. So they would do things like that. They would play at different speeds. Um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, the the shot of Stripe sinking in the pool, for example, mm-hmm. that took sixty takes, and they finally get it. They finally get the shot, and then they realize he doesn't have a stripe. <laughs> How do you realize that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Chris is like, he's, he hasn't had any sleep. He's like, you know, he's they're on coffee. This, and This yeah. feels very similar to like the thing experience right. with that guy. Where he was just Rob like, Bettine? Yeah, literally. Like, I mean, that's what it sounded like. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like, like he was like he's joking, you know, throughout the commentary, but it sounds like there's real like <laughs> trauma there, like real pain. Like he's unpacking. I talked to a therapist yeah, about this. No, no doubt. Um, by the time they get to the theater scene, you know, shooting wise, they had 108 puppets left, apparently. Uh, in various forms. Yeah. And he said, we, Chris was like, yeah, we lost some along the way. I don't know what that means. Um, but everyone in that wide shot in the theater is operating puppet. I mean, everyone, like everyone in the crew. Dante, wow. yeah. And not only that, they only shot half of the theater and uh-huh. they optically attached the other half oh, of the frame yeah, yeah, so yeah. that they could double the, yeah. the puppets. Um, another funny bit, the explosion at the theater uh-huh. uh, on the Universal lot apparently shattered somebody's window nearby that lived nearby. Because the, oh, the yeah, impact right of the, yeah, 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 they have a neighborhood impact right of them. the impact of the uh, explosion literally shattered their window, Gosh. or the concussion of the you know yeah yeah um, and then of course so that gets us into the exterior shots which we were talking about a little bit earlier yeah. they used fake snow a lot of it was made from gypsum um, but they killed Lou Wasserman's favorite tree on on <laughs> on, on the lot and apparently like the the production had to pay to like plan a new one or something Early like Lou Wasserman was like the uh, he- the head of Universal yeah. MCA Universal at the time. Yeah. And again this is a Warner Bros production. They're shooting yeah. on Universal a lot but and they also shot some at Universal I mean yeah. Warner Bros a lot but Yeah. But the main yeah. the main set is right. is, is the Universal lot. Uh, the t- is the Town Square set right. from Back to the Future. Uh and they were shooting this during the summer. You know, mm-hmm. I think you mentioned this in another episode. Uh, so the actors are wearing, you know, snow clothes like yeah, jackets. Better watch out. Running yeah, yeah. It, running around. Yeah. yeah. And the first AD would have to yell, it's cold before every take, just to remind remind the extras and remind <laughs> all the actors that it's cold outside, yeah. even though it's we're in L.A. We're in, in the, the middle valley. of the summer. We're yeah. in the valley in, in the summer. <laughs> Which, if, you, if you're not from L.A., valley yeah. in the summer is not a pleasant place to be. Nope. Yeah. Uh, but another interesting uh, connection to the previous episode, uh, Universal on the Universal lot, they were also shooting Streets of Fire at the same time. Yes. And because they were tarping off their sets, oh, they yes. had giant poles. Oh, giant poles wow. all around. So Dante said we had to shoot around them, like we didn't have a way, you know, anything we could do because they couldn't take the poles down because they're uh-huh. shooting the, they're shooting their yeah. stuff too. And so. and it's literally because I know that's I know kind of the makeup of yeah. that back lot. It's literally right next to them. Right. Like they're shooting Town Square, and the next street over is Streets of Fire. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So he was like, we just had to shoot around it. We didn't have an option. And they just but explode. <laughs> it's going all the time. Right. Um. And then, uh, yeah, so, so, but then when they came back and did a lot of the effects stuff, they also reshot some scenes. So uh, Gizmo actually became more of the hero through these reshoots because okay. Spielberg saw it and he was like, I think Gizmo needs to be the winner or the, yeah, yeah. the hero at the end. And so originally Billy actually pulls a second shade 
um, at the end, you know, where he kills Stripe. Yeah. He pulls the second one, but they cheat it in the edit that Gizmo he does it. pulls one and it opens the whole thing as uh, opposed to like okay. they both pull it and kill okay. Stripe. Um, but yeah, so they did things like that. I think I think they mentioned one of the Phoebe Cates scenes was a, was a reshoot. And then also the death of Mr. Hansen, uh, the teacher, mm-hmm. uh, originally... Because he injects that gremlin with a needle, yeah. the gremlin wants to get him back, and so he stabs him a bunch of times in the face with needles. And so when they when Billy finds his body, it's like covered in needles. But uh-huh. instead, they're like, "Okay, we got to reshoot this." So they just flipped his body over and put one needle in his ass. That was the that was the, uh, the, the extent. Bet, yeah, yeah, the extent of the payoff. No, there. I died. <laughs> yeah, so they they, they reshot some th- a lot of things, and they um yeah that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when they when they came back, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so mainly with the effects though was the, the main was the big issue. Yeah, with, that. with the with the I think I still find the Streets production. of Fire story funny. Um, and then again, Spielberg Lair would would use that town square. They'd use it again for Back to the Future. Back to the Future, yeah, yeah, pretty much the exact same. Yeah, yeah, stuff. Um, I can't imagine shooting Streets of Fire at that same exact time as that as that movie. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so is that is that it on? Yeah, that's in on the production scale. Okay, so I, so then we're moving to aftermath. Yeah, and yeah. you had an editing story. I, well, I had a story. So I I had my professor um, at USC. I don't know if she'll ever listen to this. Hopefully not. I know she was very yeah. Anyway, um, uh, but she uh, this is years ago. Um, but she was the editor for this movie, and she talked about how like she meant you talked about Dante like going like just going to sleep or whatever for a full weekend. I think she came, he came in and like he's like we don't got it, we don't have it. Because they were just shooting so many different things, I think at that point you couldn't see the forest from the trees. And it sounded like Columbus was writing as well as they were shooting yeah. as well. Yeah. So, you're, so I think I, she was talking about how like she said, no, 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 we got it. Don't worry, we can do it. We like we haven't. You guys shot a lot, and he's like, I don't think we can. Let me have it. I don't think we have it. And then I think the rough cut is when they realize like, oh yeah, we have a good bit of the movie yeah. here. Oh yeah, we can we can make this work. You got a little. But she's like, when he came in, he was just so like down. I mean, this was his, I didn't mention this, but this was his first like studio movie. So it's yeah. like, it's a big, it's a big thing. Big stress. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and not only that, he's dealing with all these effects and it's like, if, mm-hmm. if it doesn't work, whose fault is it? It's, it's going to be Dante. It's going to be the, yeah. the, the, the guy. Yeah. It's right. going to be him. Um, but yeah, so like, it, it, so the executives didn't really get the tone of the movie until they saw that first screening. Yeah. Um, but the first cut, one of the executives, their first note was, there's too many gremlins. So Spielberg, <laughs> Spielberg being Steven Spielberg, you know, even at this point being Steven Spielberg, he goes, "Oh, let's just cut them out and call the movie People." <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, like you get an executive note like that, and it's like, what? Like it's gremlins. Like you yeah. Know. I mean, maybe there was more to the bar scene. Who knows? But like, I know they shot a lot of stuff there, so yeah. maybe they just had it was longer. But even then, too it's like too many gremlins. Too many gremlins. What do you mean yeah. the movie's called Gremlins? Yeah. It's like when let's James Cameron wrote people. Aliens Dollar Sign. You know? Allegedly, yeah, yeah. allegedly. <laughs> um, but the the main thing that they wanted, and this is throughout, not, not only throughout post, but just all the way until they literally sent the prints out. They wanted that Santa speech gone. They wanted it gone. Um, <laughs> and, and in the original draft, actually, it's a completely random character that's not introduced earlier. That so, like at one point, Billy, like, or sorry, it's he's a different name in the draft. Yeah. But that character saves a bunch of people, and they like yeah. hold up in this house. Uh-huh. And there's another character that just like unloads this speech on them. It's really strange. But anyways, I'm glad that they switched it to her. But anyways, yeah. um, uh, the editor, you mentioned, she said, yeah. she said, it's not going to be in the movie. It's not, this is not going to make the movie. Not only that, people on set told him when they were shooting it, this is not going to make the movie. This is not <laughs> gonna be in the movie. But Dante felt it was very important to the character and the heart of the film, in his opinion. Yeah. And Steven didn't really care for the scene either, but he believed it was Dante's movie. Yeah. And he, so he fought for it and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to keep it in. But the executives, I'm telling you, like Dante said, even when the prints were going out, they were like, we, we, they were debating, sending letters and saying, hey, cut that part out of the, wow. the movie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, you could cut because I, I, like plot wise, you could cut it out and it wouldn't change a thing. Except uh, for he did make a good point. Like she sets up earlier that she doesn't like Christmas and there's no, a pay there's no payoff. No, there would that. not be a payoff to that. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. I think yeah. it's it's a character. It's, it's, right. it's for character, not for plot. And that's why if you cut it out, you could you wouldn't lose anything in terms of the plot, but yeah. you would lose something for Phoebe Cates' character um, about who she is. But also, I think it, it affects the tone of the film if you don't have that. For I sure. Think, I think it's a, the perfect example of what Dante is actively doing is that I am taking your tropes and the styles that you know of this old Hollywood and I'm turning it on its head. And that's exactly what he does here. Instead of giving you this, this beautiful, warm Christmas morning, you're finding out your, your yeah. dad passed away because he, he hurt, he broke his, broke his neck down the chimney right. dressed as Santa. And in another Christmas movie, that would be the speech where they're like, Oh, I've changed my heart to like, I, I yes. love Christmas. Yes. You know what I mean? Like in a, no, a like, traditional I, I, Christmas I thought I could never love Christmas again. Right. But because of yeah. this, but if it was a Hallmark Christmas movie, but that, that's where it like, it, it, it's, it's the kind of pure kind of chaos and, Again, subversion of Dante right. is that scene, and that's why I think it works perfectly yeah. for for what this movie is. Exactly. And so when Gremlins came out in the summer of '84, which is just weird, it comes out in the yeah, summer. In the summer, <laughs> but there is a re- there is actually a reason for this. Okay. But it made bank, man. I mean, apparently internationally, it made 212 million on a budget of 11 million. Um, that that that's worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, internationally, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Worldwide. Uh, yeah, yeah, worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Total. Total. Gr- yeah. Uh, total. Uh, according to IMDb, though, the reason for the summer release was because Warner Bros. realized they didn't have any competition for Ghostbusters or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom for the summer season. And funnily enough, Ghostbusters came out the same day as Gremlins. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that weekend. What a movies. time to be alive. Yeah, imagine that weekend at the movies. But uh, one of the reasons it did well internationally was because they tailored certain jokes and dialogue yeah. of the Gremlins to specific regions when dubbing. Um, mm-hmm. For example, when they, in the bar scene, they, when the Germans, it, when they did the German version, they were drink, they were singing German drinking songs. So they like mm-hmm. tailored it to specific areas. And Mandel had to, Howie Mandel had to learn phonetics of other languages wow. to dub to dub Gizmo in other languages. Um, That's intense. And you know, talking about Gizmo, the cute little Gizmo, uh, the merchandise was. The oh yeah, merch. And even Dante mentioned in that first screening, he was like, he already heard people. Or no, it wasn't even the first screening. It was during dailies. When yeah. They, one of the first shots of Gizmo, he just heard executives in the background. Oh, merchandise, merchandise. Like, yeah. Friend. That's not, that's yeah. not a perfect thing about it being in June is that right. you have enough time to prep for Christmas. Yeah, the irony of this movie, like, kind of ta- like poking fun at the consumerism of uh, Christmas. And then it like, it's everything's, releases toys. It's, of, yeah. it's re- the, but it's like the release is based off money. The right. toys are based off money. Yeah. But the toy, yeah. So there was, to- there was uh, action figures, stuffed animals, even trading cards. Um, yes. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, like a lot of uh, now beloved like Christmas classics, it got sort of a mixed reception when it mm-hmm. came out. But Ebert gave it three out of four, and Siskel yeah. gave it three and a half out of four, which I find interesting. Siskel. And Siskel like had a, actually like a longer pull quote, yeah, and he really he seemed to really appreciate it. Yeah, what, um, what does Gene say? Gene, uh, wickedly funny and slightly sick ride, and a most original work. We're aware at every moment that someone is trying to entertain us. Playfulness abounds. Um. And then, uh, and Ebert, um, uh, I, he, he, I think he, Ebert liked the speech. It says that she gives. Yeah, he said he said something about subverting Christmas. Yeah, too, didn't he? yeah. he can connect Kate's speech by fire with the great tradition of 1950s sick jokes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think both that both of them realize that's the thing with Ebert and Siskel. Like, there's a lot of critics out there and everything, and 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 Gene, Gene and Roger were never always fully right. 
No, of course not. They had a very good batting average. Well, and also they they knew how to actually back their points up. They know? did, and they knew that just because they didn't like something, right. I think Roger knew this more than Gene. It, they knew if they didn't like something, someone else could still like it. Exactly, the and thing. they're not the target audience. At the end of the day, it was for, for everything. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, they're not the target audience for Gremlins. You know, at the end of the day, so yeah, the fact that they enjoyed it as much as they did that, at least the the the. The prime target audience was was kids, uh, but you know, anytime there's a hit, you know, financial hit, there's knockoffs, and so there was a <laughs> yeah. whole string of like little creature movies, uh, ghoulies, critters, ghoulies, critters trolls, yeah. stuff like that, um, and you know, like I mean, that always happens. As soon yeah. as something's a hit, they're like, we got to capitalize. I it. think Dante, I think he's the only one that he really liked that I thought was was critters. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Which that I was, haven't seen. Yeah, that was the one he said that was like the more the better of all the knockoffs. Yeah. But I think it's funny that he got his sort of start doing a Jaws knockoff. Yeah, knock yeah. Anyways, um, but of course uh, they immediately wanted a sequel. Um, yes, and of they course. handed it around, and and Dante was like, "I'm Grimland down. I'm good." Um, so they handed it around to numerous directors and writers for years. Um, there was all kinds of concepts. Gremlins go to Las Vegas. Gremlins go to Mars. That's just how it goes. Yeah. But nothing panned out, and so they returned to Dante and basically gave him free reign. And so Gremlins 2 comes out in June 15th, 1990, and it's a very different film mm-hmm. to this one. Um, it kind of even, even pokes fun at the original. Mm-hmm. In fact, they kind of poke fun at the rules. Um, and Leonard Maltin, who gave the uh, uh, original film a bad review, gets attacked by the Gremlins in, in, yes. like a, in the gag bit. Um, but the, the, the sequel only made uh, $41.5 million, which is already a disappointment, but on an estimated yeah. budget of 30 to $50 million. So I don't think they yeah. ever released what the actual budget is. because Yeah, it was pro- they, yeah. they lost money Box office that. disappointment, yeah. 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 But uh, still, there's been talks about Gremlins 3 for decades. Yeah. Uh, and Columbus, uh, Christopher Col- uh, Chris Columbus, not Christopher Columbus, yeah. Chris- and Chris Columbus even has said that he wrote a script in, or he has a he had a draft in 2017 of a Gremlins three that's yeah. super dark uh, in a slash film interview, but there's been no updates in that regard since. He said, yeah, the last, I'm looking right now. He's in yeah. November 2020. Columbus stated that CGI would not be used to Gremlins, oh, yeah. and traditional puppets and animatronics would be, would continue to be used. So that's 2020. That's funny because uh, Dante said in the commentary like they would never make this movie like this again. <laughs> granted, <laughs> granted, there's like you know they. There's I think yeah. Pushback now to use more practical effects. Right, right. But also, like I think you can uh, you can utilize practical effects and CGI in, mm-hmm. in interesting ways as long as you don't overload them. Correct. Yeah. But there is going to be a new animated. Uh, well, uh, there's a caveat to this, but there is <laughs> there what there, there, there is a new animated show for HBO Max called Gremlins: Secret of Mogwai. Uh, yeah. And Dante was involved as a consultant. It looks like he directed an episode on IMDb. Oh, um, and the first episode premiered at the Annecy International Animation Film Festival in June of this year. Okay. Uh, but, you know, who really knows what's going to happen with the show because of the whole HBO Max HBO shakeup? Max, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, apparently, like, there's episodes in the can. I think um, uh, Zach Galligan has returned as a recurring voice actor. Oh, but there's nice. a whole new cast of, of people um, that are involved. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. it, it I, I saw some of the animation, and it doesn't really look like for me, but I think it's targeted <laughs> for, you know, for yeah, kids. Original, so. It's the original yeah. release is supposed to be 2023 at some right. point. Yeah. So, we'll see. I think that's all part of the HBO Max shakeup, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if they already have it in the, well, they might do the tax write-off thing. Who knows? We uh, shall see. We shall see. But that was announced <laughs> like in 2016 or something. It was like yeah. announced like years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, kind of the uh, that's kind of been the aftermath of the movie. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of become a you know, I, I would argue it's a Christmas Christmas. I, I would yeah. I would I would agree. It's it's in that kind of realm of the people who don't love your traditional Christmas right. movies. It's like it's. I'm watching Gremlins Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, baby. Yep. It's that that's the trilogy or something like that. Um when you're watching uh It's Wonderful Life or whatever. Um I love it. It's a It's Wonderful Life is a classic. I watch it every year. Um I've only seen it once though. I need to revisit. Oh man, bro. But I loved it. I loved it. I gave it four and a half on letterbox. 
Uh, That's a five film. No, um, <laughs> I think people are just so surprised how depressing that movie is yeah, in yeah, moments. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Yeah, because uh, I mean, you you see the angel gets his wings bit. Yeah, and you don't really you, you just, just assume that's the rest yeah, of the movie. Yeah, or it's 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 in I this think Family Guy even had a bit. Yeah, like, yeah I mean they, they show it in this one. She the mom's watching It's Wonderful Life right. on TV. Um, which if you if you want to find out more about It's Wonderful Life, go check our episode. Listen to our episode on it because there's a that was that was an in depth episode. I yeah. tell you, and I had a lot of stuff on that one. But um, and it talks about why it was in a lot because it's watched they're watching it in Home Alone, I believe as well. Like it was if you watch a lot of '80s Christmas movies, a lot of times someone is watching. Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life, and that's there's a whole issue, the whole thing of why that happened. It was a copyright thing. Right? It was a copyright yeah. thing, yeah. Um, and why TV, basically public acts or public public television or whatever, and 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 local affiliates could buy it for cheap. But that's also why it got popular too, right? Because it yes, played that's so, what made it yeah. popular. Was it was it was basically being played on the cheap, yeah, everywhere during so people Christmas. People just watch time. it and then realize, wait, this is actually a great yeah, film. Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. But um, um but yeah, it, it's but but yeah, like the scene in that one, it's, like, it's when he's like, it's like. Merry Christmas, Pepper yeah, Falls. Right. Which, if you noticed, I can't remember the time, but I know the name of the town. Uh, oh, Kings something. Kingston Falls or something yeah, like yeah. that. Because when I saw Falls, I was like, that's the Bedford Falls reference right there. Yeah. Just oh, like, and he even said, I mean, he said the town was very Capra-esque. Yeah. Like, he was definitely going for that vibe. But it's interesting, again, the, the films, because like, we even talked about how Black Christmas, I think I think the town in Black Christmas is called Bedford named after Bedford Falls for its former life. So right. that's that's a, a lingering thing. But no, yeah, I think it's 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 this movie's for the people that like that don't love your traditional like Christmas film. The Hallmark or the rom com right. or the uh the heartwarming Christmas. It's the more it's for the edgy person in your life is what I say. Um but yeah. So is that on aftermath? Yeah, yeah. so what worked for you, man? Well I, I think because I I've grown to appreciate Joe Dante more and more as time has gone on. Well, yeah, and I think it's interesting looking at his filmography as a whole. Like, mm-hmm. You can definitely see a through line. He has a very yes. specific voice. Yes. It doesn't necessarily always come through in the like visuals, but I think you know he, he, he has a very like specific uh, okay, yeah. way he looks at stories and, like, uh, and, of the, and just yeah. tone, you know? Yeah, and, I, and again, it goes back to the idea of like his subversion of of the suburbs or right. modern of, of American life, essentially, and how he takes those earlier films, those 1940s, those those Capra, Douglas Sirk movies, and captures the essence of it in terms of visuals, and that's that's what you think about. But then he turns it on its head and subverts it in some way, and making it dark, and has this tree or, or speech about about uh. Um, not believing in Santa now because your father went down the died down the chimney or whatever, right. which is um, more true to life. I feel like, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like he he takes yeah. he takes what you what you loved, but he makes something new out of it. Is yeah. the thing, and he's always going to deliver like the the popcorn entertainment that you want. But yes, he, he, he has a very like like you said, he's subverting things. He's, he's not, subverting. He's not, he's not yeah. solely going to hit the beats mm-hmm. how they're how they're traditionally hit. And yeah, it, it takes even with his layer stuff where it's like it's taking the. Um, it's the sub, it's the burbs where you're like, what if my next door neighbor killed someone right. and then, and how your mind, how, how life in the burbs yeah. can be boring. And this is what a lot of these films he does is that these characters have very boring, mundane lives until something happens that right. changes that. If it's small soldiers, I think even it's explorers. Um, and this one it's, it's like, it's like, these are all like, like struggling kind of characters who are looking for something like they're looking for guidance in the world in some way. If it's, if it's Billy with trying to be an artist, if it's his dad trying to be an inventor, yeah. if it's, if it's Tom Hanks and the burbs, who's like 
been fired or quit his job yeah. and, and he's aimlessly trying to figure out what to, he's wandering aimlessly in the burbs essentially and not knowing what to do with his life um either, the, i think even small soldiers has a little bit of that too with the young kid or whatever um but yeah it's these characters that the this uh, these events kind of come in and affect who they are and kind of try their, show their true selves but what i like is that how he how he satirizes but also just it modernizes um certain aspects of kind of the the earlier uh filmmaking yeah. essentially um and i think this he captures the tone of christmas well but then makes it turns it dark i think the practical effects are amazing i think the, i think i think the cast is really good like i said i love phoebe cates in this movie i i love uh zach gilligan too um but a uh, galgan um but yeah it's it's like it's i think a lot of a lot of that works mm-hmm. with that what about you I, I mean i think i think the not only like hitting his specific tone but the overall tone balance because we're going from scenes of like zany mm-hmm. cartoonishness to them actually genuinely attacking people yes you know and then you know uh and then like her speech or, yeah. and then like a romantic moment you know yeah. like it, he's it's a very difficult he's walking a very fine line very fi- yeah it's a very movie. tight rope yeah. that he's walking um and he and he succeeds and and kind of balancing all those tones and right. not making you feel um yeah not not yeah it's just not um not making you feel confused or right. or well, I always go back distant. to Phantom Menace because there's that there's that great clip of them watching that cut uh, uh-huh. it's like George Lucas the editor like a few other people and the editor is trying to explain to George like why it's not the last little bit's not working he's yeah. like we well, go from this tone to this tone to this tone and George is like well we can't do anything about that because this leads you know plot wise yeah. this leads to this to this and he's just screwed so I think that's a it, no but I think it's an underrated like thing that we don't really talk about with directors is how hard it is to hit if you're trying to hit like a you know balance like that it's really difficult well because like people don't realize that when you're when you're directing I think back to the the uh what was it the snowman or whatever the the fastbender movie oh where they well they didn't even shoot like the whole the, third act or something the, right? yeah, yeah they well they, they realized they got an a and they realized they didn't shoot like a yeah. third of the movie yeah, or, or something money or something right and you're yeah. like and and you got yourself i think on the day for someone who doesn't understand how the move how movies are made it's like you're working for months on end and if no one's really keeping track of what you're shooting and yeah. what you have and no one's paying attention you could want and also you're trying to like how to keep that tone throughout the film. And you're shooting out of order. Yeah, you're shooting out yeah. how to, it's 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 the consistency consistency yeah. is kind it's of like, where key. is the character at in this point? You know, where yes. are we at in the overall tone of the movie at this point? It's yeah. very it's not it's not that's, easy. That's always the thing. I I've, I've heard certain actors, big time actors say like, what's what's the uh advice you'd give to a young director and that's directing in context, basically meaning if you're shooting a scene, say um it's after this character has died. Right. But everything you shot before that you shot before they've died or whatever, and right. you haven't shot the death scene yet. Well, now now you know this is the headspace they're in. If you don't do that, and so that's the thing, how how can you keep that tone that ba- and balance everything when doing everything out of order and keep your the the visual style the same? You keep the acting acting the same, and you create that arc. It's it's difficult. It's like shooting everything in order is is a great blessing. But usually difficult because yeah. it's we well, gotta sets. wrap actors, you gotta yeah. wrap sets, you gotta. Yeah. You know, okay, and with this, you have all these effects. Like they couldn't have done that. Yeah, no, no way in hell they could have done that. And and how he's able to, and also I think the commendable thing about this, he has they have the the big anarchy of the gremlins at the end, and even though this, it's like it goes off the rails, but not in like a. It's a it's a purposeful going off the rails. Right, right. It's not like he's lost the movie. Yeah. It's that 
purposely they're supposed to be causing anarchy and chaos in this town. That's the purpose for it, and that's why I think it works and why it's why it's so good is that he doesn't lose it within that chaos. Right. He keeps it steady throughout. Oh, is there anything that didn't work for you? <sighs> okay. Um, I didn't like that shot, the the big one. The claymation? The yeah. claymation. Oh, I don't, the stop motion. Stop motion. I don't like that shot. Um, I don't really love um, the opening with the, like... This goes in it's like this whole Asian stereotypes. Yeah, of I was like, gonna say that's my thing. Is it, yeah, there's definitely some like racist undertones. Yes, but even worse, the draft that I read. Uh, so in this in this in this movie, uh, Key Lucas is credited as grandfather. Uh-huh. In the draft I read, he's credited as something that's very it's not offensive a good term. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Nowadays, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's like starts the O. You go yeah, figure it out. Um, yeah, but yeah. So it's like. Uh, you know, but I think and this isn't a defense, but I think you throw a rock at an '80s movie, you're gonna hit something. No, I agree. I, but I think that was this weird period in the '80s where, like, uh, there was a lot of this like Asian mysticism yeah. in American. Well, I movies. think if they remake it nowadays, they'd make it come from outer space or like a lab or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the Gremlin. I don't think they would do yeah. the whole China, you know, China market thing. Yeah, China, it's China, Chinatown market. Yeah. Well, like, even like Little Shop of Horrors does it too, mm-hmm. which that's that's is an alien. But it's found in like Chinatown right. is the thing, um, or you think of the and, and I'm saying it's they're all done poorly with right. with this. But like when I say the running themes, like it's the Golden Child or it's Big Trouble in Little China, where you have these kind of this like Asian mysticism or supernatural elements that are coming in, and here it just feels odd. And it doesn't even come back. Well, it does come back because he comes at the, but end. Only, but it's only solely to get the, you know, get yeah. it away. So it's like, there, there's no real, you know, he does set the rules, but I, I think, like I said, in that other draft, they kind of learn the rules as they go. Yeah. And maybe that honestly would be a, a better way to go about it because then it's like, it's an, a genuine mistake as opposed to he knows the rules yeah. and he's, you know. Well, yeah. man, man, but also it's just like, it's, it's maybe just because it feels so over the top here yeah. where like he feels like is this guy 120 years? It's just, it's just, there's right. something weird about it mm-hmm. that like you, you could do it in Chinatown if you wanted to, but you, it just can't be this like, it just feels like this magical Asian person. Right. And it just feels like that was a, that was a running theme in the eighties that just thankfully we're not there anymore. Yeah. Um, or I don't think we are. I, don't, I haven't seen that of late. Um, but yeah, that, that really kind of bumped me was, was that yeah, section. That was my thing too. That I think uh, yeah. doesn't work yet. Um, was there anything else that you had? No, that, that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah that was just it. <laughs> I was just like, man, we have a better opening. It's like, yeah. I mean, it could be anything. Like, I don't know. I mean, he's a traveling salesman or he's an inventor trying to sell stuff. Does he find it somewhere else on like a back road somewhere yeah, yeah. outside town or whatever? And it's a, it's exotic pets or something and he finds i don't know just if it, but it's trying to explain the mysticism that just kind of goes and it's just it's yeah I, don't, I mean which it seems like with this animated show they're leaning more into the asian mysticism most of the, or asian culture because most of the main characters are, are asian yeah and big names too there's some big yeah. names in bd wong yeah. uh bowen yang is is one sandra oh, or guest stars randall park george takei um takei um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's my only big, that's my big thing. Uh, film facts, right? Oh yeah. Film facts. Yeah. So, uh, Gizmo's tune, you know, the song that he sings mm-hmm. was actually sung by a girl from Goldsmith's temple, not Mandel. Um, huh. so yeah. Uh, 
I don't know if it's because Mandel can't sing. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Uh, and then we already mentioned this, but the Kingston Falls set is uh, the same one that they used in Back to the Back Future. Future yeah. Uh, filmed on the Universal Backlot. And Dante also mentioned a few other movies that like to throughout kill, history. To Kill a Mockingbird yeah. was shot there. Um, later on, the Ghost Whisperer TV show was shot there. Um, I know this because I've been to the tour and they tell you that. Um, but to Kill a Mockingbird was the big one where it's the yeah. that's the courthouse that the the scout well, scout the, gem. The Universal tour is like the ride, right? The, or yes. did you go on a separate one? Like a, the the personal tour, I went on a personal tour yeah. that I was a guest on that I paid nothing for, which was beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, it was it was a tour that, that it was some friends. It was for a, a, my former class uh, or former college, and they come like, "Hey, two students can't go. Do you want to go this universal private tour?" I was like, "How much is it?" Oh, it's free. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> Say no more. It was funny because that was the day. Like I we we went. Uh, and it was like me and the TA were there, this teacher's assistant that I knew. And you're getting free tickets to Universal. I got free tickets. I was there from like the start of the day to the end of the day. And everyone who came who were not who were not from LA, they literally rode one ride after the tour what? and they went back to like lounge by the pool. And I was like, yo, you don't do this shit every day in LA. I'm 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 riding this the wheels falls off. I was like that we we I got free valet. I was like, this is the life. <laughs> I got yeah. a buffet. It was like because the, the tram that the private was gonna be like a buffet as well. Oh like, really? I was like, this is amazing. You guys are so much lounge with a pool. I was like, I get that. yeah. Anyway, but yeah, but they they actually actually could walk on at least with that time. You walked on that the courthouse or the the yeah. the town square set. And at that point, I don't know if they had anyone going through it. It was just us, I think, at that point. So it was kind of cool. Oh wow. To be there. Yeah. Um. But yeah. That's oh. my that's my universal tour fact. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, I've been on the ride. That's it. But it, this is a while ago. Yeah, and the ride. And see, I also interned there, and it's fun when or it's fun at first. Oh wow, like we're part of the attraction. Yeah. And then by the end, I'm like, I hate this damn tour. I hate <laughs> this damn tour. All right, but back to the film facts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh in Cantonese, Magwai means devil, demon, or gremlin. Ooh. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, one of the first tests uh, that they did was it, 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 what somebody had the bright idea like oh let's have monkeys play the gremlins oh, so they no. put a uh, they put a gremlin head on the monkey and it just lost it it just lost no, it it couldn't handle that it sounds yeah. dumb. so they were like nope that's not gonna work yeah um I, we already mentioned this but it was released the same day as Ghostbusters but yeah. an interesting fact well according to Dante at least he said that uh, gremlins actually played better in New York because or made more money in New York because uh, New Yorkers were so aggravated by Ghostbusters blocking traffic like that entire time that they were shooting yeah. that they just chose to see Gremlins instead that weekend. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. Uh, and then Spielberg, okay, this is alleged. I, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know this for sure, but apparently at one point Spielberg considered Tim Burton to direct because he'd seen some of his early short films. Uh, but he he felt that he hadn't directed a feature before, yeah. so he didn't know. But I, but I would see that movie, honestly, I, in an alternate universe. Like, yeah. I wouldn't want it to replace the Gremlins that we have, yeah. but I would see a Burton Gremlins movie. That sounds interesting. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I want to see a Burton Gremlins not, not movie now. now. Not, not now. I mean, like, in that time. Yeah. yeah. Like, that would have been his first movie, right? Because that would have been before... Would been before Pee-wee. Yeah, yeah, before Pee-wee. Because yeah. I guess Pee-wee um, is Batman. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a, that's a good two... Pee Wee Batman, Beetlejuice, Batman Returns. Yeah, that's that's I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's a four run right there. And, and, that, and, I think, and I think next is Edward Scissorhands. Like oh, it's man. so when they do that Twitter thing, I wonder why they, nobody ever mentions Burton. Yeah, yeah, and then I think Edward is right after that. Like it's oh, it's a run. He goes on yeah. a run. Uh, am I forgetting one? P, yeah. So yeah, Frank and Weenie was his. Uh, yeah, short film. And that came out in '84. So the same year as this. Yeah. It is Pee Wee Beetlejuice. Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Ed Wood. Man. 
That's a good six That's movie run. run. And then run. and then and then Mars Attack. <laughs> and you can take what you will. For, like if you like. Talk about, yeah, but talk about practical effects. I just saw someone on Twitter earlier. They were like, yeah. they were going to do that all in stop motion. They were doing the aliens in stop motion. Yeah. And then they decided to do CG. Because um, yeah. that was a weird, that was a weird time to be like, that like the mid nineties, you know, the switch to, yeah, to, the switch to CG as opposed to yes. practical. You know? Yes. It was, it was like, let's try it. Yeah. And, and then, then a lot of that stuff looks so dated now, but I mean, they didn't yeah. have the, you know, the technology to really yeah. pull things off that they, that they do now. But then it was probably groundbreaking and like insane sure. to see. It's like video but, games. And also that's part of the shtick is that it kind of looks goofy, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the aliens are already designed kind of, you know, mm-hmm. goofy looking. They're Cart- supposed cartoonish. To, yeah. 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 Um, okay. But uh, I guess we'll get to the awards now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Beatrice Strait Award, actor, actual scenes that kills it. Do you um, have a nomination? I mean, I th- I'd throw in Dick Miller for that. That was mine. Dick Miller's kind of mine with this because again, he th- he delivers exposition, but he's also just such a fun, quirky character. He, like, he does a good job of uh, of being the half man of the movie, you know, of of yes. of of, of, uh, of that aspect. But no, I agree. Um, I think he's fun. I think I think he's with the scenes that he has. He, you get a s. It, it's it's a it's a good snapshot of like the people that live in this town. Yeah, like that's things that we don't really see a lot of people. We see people who are in the town. But we don't spend as much time with them. He's kind of the only one we actually spend a lot of time with yeah. outside of uh, Ruby. Um, but he's the regular guy we spend time with where he's the working man. He yeah. goes and drinks at the bar and everything. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I would go. So with, we're in agreement. Yeah. And we're gonna, yeah, Dick Miller for that. Hey, Billy, what's your matter? You need a jump? Oh, no, thanks, Mr. Futterman. Woo. I'm pretty much late for work as it is. It is goddamn foreign gods. They always freeze up on you. You don't find American machinery doing that. Our stuff can take anything. See that plow? 15 years old. Hasn't given me a day's trouble in 15 years. You know why? Kentucky Harvester. It ain't some farm piece of crap you pick up these days. That's a Kentucky Harvester. Hmm. Well, if I want to keep my job, I really think I should be going now. Hey, how's that uh, comic strip of yours coming? I expect to see you in the funnies any day now with Smiling Jack and Little Abner. Oh, well, Mr. Futterman, they don't run those comics anymore. They don't. All right, any pots, though? X Factor Award. Uh, Phoebe Cates. That's, that's me too. Phoebe Cates. I think, there we go. I think, I think she... I mean, for the speech alone. But she, in the speech alone, I think she's movie. great. I and wish... again, I think she... I, I do wish she was in it more, but I do think their romance doesn't feel forced to me. I agree. In a way that a lot of 80s movies do, romance do feel forced. Yeah, yeah I've always wished, because I've, I've always liked Phoebe Cates, and I wish she had done more. Yeah. Because um, what was Fast Times 82? Or? Fast Times 82. Yeah. Um, Gremlins '84, and she's done like other like '80s, like I, I think this one, like like kind of these like sex comedies afterwards, or like te- teen dramas. Well, that was one thing that they mentioned. They were worried because of her role in Fast Times that they this would, they, they wouldn't be a good fit. Is, is she, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Was she, she typecast? Right. That. Yeah. Um, no, she's good in. Uh, um, I think I liked her in Bright Lights, Big City, this Michael J. Fox drama that's kind of interesting. Um, Shag, this movie called Shag that she was in. Uh, have you heard of this movie? Huh. Okay, so it's 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 kind of like if it, it goes in that period of like coming of age movies that take place in 62, 63 of like the pre JFK coming of age oh, movies. I see. And so it's Phoebe Cates, Bridget Fonda, um, Annabeth Gish, or, uh, Gish, who was in like um, Mystic Pizza, but she's also in Haunting of Hill House show. She's like the 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 maid, the family that works at oh, the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they all basically they're all in like I think in South Carolina and they're all going for this like beach weekend to the shag competition. Shag was like a dance is what it was, uh, or type of dance, and so they're all going there for the weekend in Myrtle Beach huh. is what it is. And she's good. They're all they're all really good. Um not discussed as much as it should be. Um 
especially with the kind of coming of age era of those or coming of age era of those movies i think it's it's worth saying i haven't seen drop dead fred that's one she's in that i feel like people love or hate is the thing um but yeah i've always liked her and all the stuff i've seen her in um but i think she's fantastic in this yeah the speech i, I when i wrote down like she wins it in the speech yeah. like the ending speech is what gives her any pots like then there's no competition in my opinion yeah uh outside of that it was snowing outside the house was freezing so i went to try to light up the fire and that's when i noticed the smell firemen came and broke through the chimney top and me and mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird and instead they pulled out my father he was dressed in a santa claus suit he'd been climbing down the chimney on christmas eve his arms loaded with presents he was going to surprise us He slipped and broke his neck. Died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Uh, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I mean Dante. I mean it's your Dante. But I also I did I do want to just throw Chris Wallace's name in the in the ring because yeah. it sounded like he went through hell. <laughs> <laughs> and what they pulled off with the practical effects is re- is really impressive. It is. I yeah. agree. I agree. Um, but uh, but again Dante. What he what he was up against, yeah, uh, and what he made with this movie, and you know, and it, I mean, it started. It's it's kind of gave him that that the start he needed. It's that pressure. It's the it's the given that opportunity, and he succeeds in it. Yeah, um, it's also very much him, right? Yeah, he didn't get thing. lost in the. He, yeah. His voice is not lost in the studio movie. He literally said, "I'm going to make a Joe Dante movie yeah. with just a bigger budget," and I'll give credit to Spielberg that Spielberg stood by him. Mm-hmm. And basically said, I'll go to battle with you. That's what I like about him. I don't know if he gets enough credit for Spielberg in that kind of early days of like, he stood by people for them to make their movie. If it's Zemeckis with Back to the Future or even like, I want to hold your hand and and that. Um, But yeah, it's like he, uh, he really kind of stood by his, the directors he Mm -hmm. presented and a lot of the changes that were made, probably for the better, were his suggestions. Yes, like the, I mean, he the whole he, Gizmo thing was his suggestion to keep Gizmo. You know, has it got a name, Dad? Yeah, Magwai. What? Magwai. I don't know some Chinese word. I just call him Gizmo. He seems to like it. Okay, Gizmo, look up here a minute. Hey, can get our picture taken. Smile. Ready? One, two, three. No, no. What happened? He hates bright lights. You know, there's some things I forgot to tell you guys, and they're really important. Number one, he hates bright lights. We know that. But you've got to keep him out of the sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep him away from water. Don't give him any water to drink. And whatever you do, don't give him a bath. And probably the most important thing, don't ever feed him after midnight. All right, final questions. Uh, if this was remade today, who would you cast, Brandon? Let's see. Who would I go with? And also, I I, I am wondering if they'd make him younger, because he's in his 20s. I feel like they'd make him a kid. Not a kid, necessarily, but they'd make... Well, yeah, probably make oh, is he in his, his 20s? He's in his 20s. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, in the in the draft. I read he's 26, but I don't think that's the case because Judge, oh, yeah, yeah. Judge oh, yeah, Reinhold says he's at the bar. They're at the bar. Yeah, yeah, and Judge Reinhold also says I'm 26 or something like okay, that. Okay, let so. me give me a sec because I, I was for in high school. I don't know why. Um, but because I guess it was the, the teacher, but that was Corey yeah. Feldman's teacher. Yeah, but Pete, that's what I was wondering. It's like, is Pete a freshman? Because there's no way he's a, anything older than, you know? Yeah. I um, always thought it was middle school, but it is high school, apparently. Um, uh, is, is Zoe Deutsch too too old to play Phoebe Cates' role? I mean, 20s. No, she, yeah, I think yeah, she I think yeah. she passes. Yeah, she's 28. I think Zoe Deutsch would be good in that. Yeah. I, I, always, I feel like I always cast Zoe Deutsch, but I think she'd be good in that. Um... Who's Hoyt? Who's Hoyt's character? The dad. That's hard. That's what I was wondering. Like, who could fit that? You know what I mean? Like, who is that kind of? I feel like John Goodman when he was younger. I was gonna say John Goodman but when he was yes, younger. When he was you younger, know? yes. But it's yes. like yes. nowadays, who is kind of that that spot? Who's yeah? Um, who would be a good? Or who could just play that that role like the of the, the the quirky inventor? You know, the quirky inventor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? We're on, he's on this kick. This is very different for him. Brendan Fraser. Let's go with Brendan oh, Fraser. Oh, I'm down with that after Brennan, seeing the whale last Brennan time. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Um uh as the I could see him being the quirky, like yeah. inventor oh, for sure. dad. Yeah. And that would get it get him back to a little bit of a little, 90s little bit of comedy. Yeah, a little bit of nineties comedy. He's yeah. playing Christopher Walken from because he's Christopher Walken Blast in the Past is kind of that character. Right. Could play that. Okay, so we got him. Um we got Zoe Deutsch in in, in that role. Um Timothy Shout. No, um, no, I mean, I, you joke, but I originally put yeah, down to But then I was like, really? Come on. I mean, it'd be yeah. different for him. I, I was thinking, I, I don't know if he he would work with um with Zoe Deutsch, but uh, I was thinking Dylan M- Minette. Is that how you pronounce Dylan Minette, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he could play that role, the kind of, because well, he's played it a lot, the, the nerdy kind of. But he's kind of in the Goosebumps, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's also in um uh, Scream. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah the, new one, the new one, yeah. Um. I could, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'll go with that. Dylan Minnette, um, and Zoe Deutsch. She might be a little, little, little older for him. She's like three years older. Yeah, you can pass. It's a fine. Um, okay, Dylan Minnette as as Billy, um, Zoe Deutsch as uh, Kate. Uh, the dad is played by uh, who we said, uh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Um, what about Pete? Is that Dick Miller's character? No, no, that's uh, the the that's um that's Corey Feldman. Yeah, Corey, Corey Feldman. Um, oh God, who's the who's the I, I was thinking Jacob Tremblay, but he's too old now. I feel like he's he's like sixteen or seventeen now. He could play that. Yeah, we'll do we'll we'll do Jacob Tremblay for that. I mean, like who else? If it, you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, he's like the kid actor. He's now. He's, he's, yeah. he's 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 he was he's the sixteen. Kid. He's, yeah. yeah, he could he could still pass that. He's looking older though, but yeah, yeah. Um, he could he could be the guy that he's friends with. And then I had for Mrs. Deagle, I had Kathy Bates. Yeah, Kathy Bates is a good pick for that. Yeah, she she's a good kind of like comically menacing yeah. character or actress, so she can be. And then um, for Gerald, um, Billy's like the Judge Reinhold character. Uh-huh. I had uh, Doc Dacry Montgomery. Okay, because we just talked about him on Better Watch Out. But I had that before. I oh, really? Yeah. But I and actually, I think I wrote that down before I watched it. But then I was like, "That's funny." Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He's in everything. He's yeah. showing up in everything now. I had, I had to yeah. anywhere else we're missing. No. Well, I wrote down Billy's mom and Mr. Hanson. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, Billy's mom. This was eh, maybe Anne Hathaway. Um. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I just saw her in uh in Armageddon time. Yeah, Armageddon time. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's kind of in that in that lane now. Um. Yeah, she's she could do more, yeah. but yes, I understand the, the the mother. Yeah, but I I want to see her fighting gremlins, man. That's the main thing. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then Mr. Hanson, because I love this man, uh, Sam Jackson. But I would change it to a professor at a college. 
Okay. Yeah, and I would have Dylan Manabe in college. You know, in college. In college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would change and have Sam Jackson be his professor, his science professor. I wouldn't have him die though if it's Sam. No, Jackson. No, I wouldn't. Because yeah. it's Sam Jackson. I want to see Jackson. him fight gremlins too, man. What yeah. do you mean? <laughs> these motherfucking, these motherfucking gremlins. Yeah. These motherfucking, motherfucking town. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love the story. I just I heard. see J- Sam Jackson fight gremlins in the snow. Is that too much to ask yeah. for? I love. I love. There was a. I heard a story. He was talking about plane, uh, snakes in the plane, and uh, and they were. He got the set, and they had changed the name of the movie. And he's like, "Look, it was like like Flight Nine Three Seven. He was just like, "Look, I'm not making this movie if it's called Flight Nine Three Seven. <laughs> I'm making this movie if it's called Snakes on a Plane. That's why I signed this movie. I can give shit if it's called. I was like." It's he goes if you say not playing you get Sam Jackson if you don't if you change that name you ain't getting Sam Jackson for this movie, um but yeah I, he he could be fun for that yeah yeah he would I was I just think, thinking his like Jurassic Park character yeah he would thing, be yeah. damn for Gremlins I think yeah. I think yeah I think that'd be good um okay that's a decent cast I feel like yeah um uh, I'm not sure who directs it um, yeah I I started to think and then I was like nah it's Joe Dante a bad plot <laughs> I mean you can still do it you can still do it. Um, okay, cool. Does this film fit with any other genres? Um, well, it it is a Christmas adjacent movie, I guess you could say. We're talking about Christmas horror as well. It's a horror comedy, I would also say. Um, any others that you would say? It, it, it's sort of a boy and his dog movie, sort of, because it's <laughs> a boy and his gremlin, but or Interesting. His boy and his mogwai. Yeah, yeah. Boy and his mogwai, who uh, also has a dog. Yeah. Um, named the real dog mushroom yeah I mean you could say it's a kind of boy and his dog movie because I feel like it has the sad ending of the dog not, yeah, not yeah. the dog dying but it's the, it's the pet being taken away yeah. um, and so it, it's for a movie that's the other thing that I kind of like about it it ends on some more of a bitter sweet moment right. where he says goodbye and yeah. then leaves and and the, the man says like maybe one day he could be yours he'll be waiting here yeah um but yeah, I actually like that ending scene. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I think Boy and Dog. Oh, oh, we didn't talk about that too, but the map painting. I like the map painting yes, at the end, and I like same. the map painting of the town at the be- you know, at the beginning. Yeah. I agree. I agree with both. The map paintings are, are really kind of yeah. gorgeous. But again, that kind of harkens back to the previous the time. Cru- yeah. But also, it's a good kind of 80s period of like, um, I think like the poster in like Fright Night. It's not a map painting, but I think the poster has this kind of 80s quality right. to it, uh, style. Um, and then, how does this film fit with the hol- with the Christmas horror genre? Well, there's Christmas, and there's also some horror. And, well, no, and what we were talking about earlier, I think, his use of Christmas music as like dramatic irony. Yes, like the again the opening Christmas. It is called Christmas Baby. Please come home is the name yeah. of the song. And then uh, for the opening title, and then the Do you hear what I hear when mm-hmm. she's fighting? You, the, yeah. Well, she she shuts it off before she fights him. But yeah, yeah. it's like setting up the suspense. It's of a the good season. subversion yeah. of Christmas, just Christmas tropes. Right. It's it's this it's the, it's the the speech about the father and Santa yeah. and down the chimney, or it's even just the uh, Christmas can be depressed. Like, is it can be a depressed time for people, and there are more right. suicides during this time than all these other times. And it's like, what? Nah. <laughs> um, I, I I do like because I know Billy's in his twenties, but I do like how almost so innocent, not he is. yeah, naive yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah. What do you mean? No one, no yeah. one can hate Christmas. Yeah. He's like, yeah, she's like, yeah, yeah. People do. It's depressed time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I think it subverts the tropes of the Christmas genre um, of the communal aspect of the Chris, of the Christmas holiday, right. of the town and everything and how it kind of uses that um, as the as the battleground for for the heart in a way yeah. when it should be a celebration. And um, some more vein of the movies we watched previously with Black Christmas and Better Watch Out where where they use 
the house is the battlegrounds to have the place of celebration. So it's interesting how they take those two things. Um, but yeah, I think that's it on on Gremlins, David. Um, good job on on the script. I was thank you for doing that because I I knew you knew it more than I did. And after Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was like, I think he should write the next. Well, one. It, was, it was also fun, man. Because like yeah. I said, like I mean, as a kid, I always looked at the effects. Yeah. And I was like, how do they do this? But like hearing, you know, hearing it from him was awesome. And he also made a documentary that I really want to see about, but more about the effects. So I really yeah. want to check that out. But it's really, like really hard to find. It's hard to find. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next time you're coming on, David, it's gonna be a Patreon episode. Yeah. And and uh, it's gonna be Love Actually, which I have never seen. David's never seen it, and you're like, what? Um, or like you were watching that, but David's never seen it. David's been on a little bit of a rom com kick this past year. He's I suppose watched, so. He's watched three. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're watching that, and it's kind of a, it's been like an anniversary celebration. So we're gonna talk about Love Actually, not a horror film. Well, some might think it is. I don't know. Um, it's not a horror film. Um, but we're talking about that on the Patreon. Uh, if you guys haven't. Subscribe to the Patreon. The Patreon is one dollar, five dollar, ten dollars. So those are the tiers. Each tier kind of gets certain aspects of it. If it's a newsletter, if it's one episode per month, two episodes per month, um, we've had several people do it so far. Um, it's doing really well. Um, this Patreon kind of helps us continue the show in the current format, and just it, it makes it a little bit easier uh, uh, to kind of pay for the 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 show essentially. And and it's good. We put all this work into the past few years, and. And any money kind of helps us continue to grow the show. Um, so thank you so much for doing that. Uh, if you haven't already, hopefully you do it soon, uh, especially so you can listen to our Love Actually episode and our kind of future episodes will be coming up uh, in the next month or so. So yeah, but that's all we have for you on this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, kind words. And if you're a new listener of the show or if you're a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us yet, be sure to do so. Uh, we're available on all of your podcast platforms, Out Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, anywhere you listen, go check us out. Um, and if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. And that's our Christmas gift. That's what we're asking for Christmas or for any other holiday, New Year's. Just give us something. Five-star review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you love. Um, tell us what movies that you've discovered um through the show uh, or what's been kind of your favorite stories or crazy stories you've heard uh from us so yeah be sure to do that and also don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter instagram letterbox and tiktok david thank you so much for joining me thanks for having me man and thank you all for listening we hope to listen to more episodes soon bye